Welcome to Unbooking the Territories. We continue our journey through the highest and lowest TV rated episodes of the Monday Night Wars for each creative period. This week sees Chris Kresge's highest rated episode on the USA Network. How dare you start the grieving process without me? That no family member or anybody not invited should not get involved in this. But I really felt, I mean, I really, from the bottom of my heart, felt that you should take a look at this. Oh, oh, my, God. God. oh my God! In case you didn't hear, I admit, I did it. I ran over Austin. It's a good thing the criminal charges were dropped. And you ask why? Damn right. I didn't do it for me. No, I didn't do it for me. I did it for The Rock. What? I did it for The Rock. How are you this week, Dan? It is a absolutely fucking glorious day today, Rob. The sun isn't shining. It's crap outside because we always have to talk about the weather. But today I put my out of office on. I've got nine days off and it's just absolutely magic. It feels brilliant. And so, yeah, I'm frazzled again, as I was last week. So if I'm a bit all over the place, I do apologise. But yeah, feeling good. How about you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. I, I just think it's funny that you're going to have to work in nine nights. Nine nights from tonight, Dan. Nine nights. Oh, don't start with the nine night shit. I barely paid attention to that when it happened. I still don't fully understand the reference. I know Tony Khan pulled some bullshit, but that's about as far as I get. On that night's wrestling podcast, we've been talking about all those late 80s, early 90s cocaine promos. Um... This, was, this was a cocaine promo. <laughs> <laughs> I apologise for... No, actually, I don't apologise for the terrible pun. I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> right, you're on intro duty this week, mate, because I have fucking forgotten to do one. Oh, wow. So the... We're not going to have the shit-out introduction this week. So. No, we get a nice entrance this week. Yeah, so if the guest makes a return, then, then you can uh, go in with a hard tackle, let him know you're there. So this week, we have Danny at Scottish Juggalo on Twitter. He's a massive supporter of podcasts in general. If you ever want to know anything about soap operas or the Basham Brothers or Stevie Ritchie. Or soap operas that have the Basham Brothers. Absolutely, a man. One of the highlights of Twitter. It's, uh, it's Danny. How are you this week, Danny? I'm good, guys. How are you guys doing? Yeah, looking forward to this, mate. Uh, proper happy to have you on. Your support has been absolutely amazing, I think pretty much from day one, if I remember rightly. So it's great to actually finally speak to you, put a face to the name and talk some wrestling. Same here. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be good. So most uh, podcasts will ask people how they got into wrestling, that kind of thing. We're not like that. We're genetic freaks and we're not normal. So uh, we've set you five questions that will kind of explain the factors that you look for when you watch wrestling. Um, so hopefully you've done your homework. So what's the most important thing to you when you watch wrestling? So number one, I would have to say is promo. And I've got two examples of this. Do you remember the Kane and Undertaker feud from 2010? Of course. Everyone had seen Kane and Undertaker Loads of times, loads of times. I can't even count how many times. 
But Kane's promo saved that feud. It saved it because it was just... There was two aging wrestlers, so they wasn't as young as they was 10 years prior. And the second was Eddie Guerrero versus Brock Lesnar. Um, Eddie Guerrero's promo saved that. But I just want to give an example. If Let's say you're working or you're sitting at home and somebody screams outside or smashes a window or something that immediately grabs your attention just like those promos grabbed my attention when I was very young here I was about 13 when that happened but yeah so I would say promos first and then this ties in with its storyline as obviously as a massive Coronation Street fan I enjoy drama a storyline has to hook me but ideally with a promo first and then the storyline comes after Third, I'd say presentation, because I think we've all been to those indie shows where it's not not looking the best, but the in-ring is good. But maybe there's a chandelier that's hanging halfway down or, or something like that. Fourth is fan response. I would normally put this fifth, but I would say fan response because have you seen when Jim Ross was announced for the Hall of Fame? I have, but I can't remember it, to be honest. Okay, if you go back on YouTube and watch that, watch the crowd reaction, you can actually see Jim Ross get emotional when he looks at the crowd. So I would say crowd reaction. And lastly is in-ring, because I really don't care about the moves of a match. I'm more interested in the story. As an example, Undertaker versus Greg Carly from uh, Judgment Day 2006 was one of my favourite matches, and I get panned all the time because of it, but... I, re- I really enjoyed the story. No, that's absolutely fair enough. I have to pull you up on one thing, though. Yeah. Chandeliers at a wrestling show. How posh is yep. the wrestling where you are? Well, it was PCW <laughs> in uh, Blackpool. <laughs> in, oh, right, uh, Blackpool. In, yeah, I remember right. it was in a nightclub, and uh, John Morrison was main event team. Fair enough. Rob, you were probably there. Well, I've been to a few PCW shows in Blackpool. Mm. They do the circus arena at the tower i don't think they've done the tower ballroom and they've also and they've run the winter gardens and sometimes they'll do like an outdoor show but i haven't actually been to any of the nightclub shows in blackpool because i've been to a few of the uh, preston shows and it it is funny that local rivalry between uh, blackpool and preston (laughs) (laughs) people can be heels in blackpool and uh, facing preston and vice versa (laughs) <laughs> I was just thinking the only thing we could compare it to you say about we've all been to the indie shows one that um, me and Rob have frequented is uh, Trafalgar Warehouse in Sheffield oh. and there's not there's no chandeliers hanging down there but there is some very dodgy low hanging uh, strip lighting <laughs> that every so often a high flying wrestler will catch with a foot mm. one single piece of confetti will drop down because there's been confetti up there for a, at least five years but nobody's ever managed to knock it all off <laughs> wow if you look up Trafalgar Warehouse, I, th- I think they nominally do wedding receptions, but uh, I think there's only one five years ago, and that's where the confetti's come from. <laughs> <laughs> but back to actual uh, rankings, mate. I think that's a, uh, that's a first, isn't it, Rob, having promos at the top? Yes, first time we've had promos at the top. It's the fourth time that we've had wrestling at the bottom. So really <laughs> Because the least important part of the wrestling is the wrestling. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we've got so we've got a new distribution on that FIFA chart, which we'll get up on the socials uh, shortly after the episode drops. <laughs> so, what's everyone drinking? So I'm on uh, JD and Coke, just keeping it simple to that. Yeah, not a bad shout. Well, JD you, and Coke, bit of a classic. 
Joe, Rob, you can go first this week if you want, out of us two. I'm going on a Wild Child Brewing Co. expedition uh, for the first few drinks this evening. So at the moment, I'm on Enduring Libation, which is a continental and citra pale ale at 4.4%. Next, I've got Distorting Horizons, which is a tropical IPA at 5.9%. And then after that, I've got Shoot to Frill, which is a Southern Hemisphere IPA at 6%. Not too shabby, not too shabby. I'm already halfway down a totally brewed... Papa Jangles Oreo Cookie Voodoo Stout, 4.5%. It's very nice, and I definitely didn't just buy it because it sounds a bit like Papa Shango. Did you order it to uh, appear at WrestleMania and it arrived like four hours late? <laughs> <laughs> hey, he said that wasn't how it went down. Yeah. Next up, I've got a uh, Six Hills Brewing Company making a play chocolate porter. And then I'm going on to something a bit different. I've gone Vocation Brewery, Strong Currents, uh, 7.5% Fruited Sour. Just for a little pa- uh, palate cleanser before I get onto something a bit heavier. I do like Vocation. It's well worth a trip to Hebden Bridge. I need awesome. to go. Decent brewery. So now it's time for the beer sommelier section of the show. And very exciting because Reginald Runoff and gone after the 24-7 title scene. So I was worried that the role of a sommelier in wrestling was being marginalised. But on this week's AW Dark, Mark Sterling has announced that he's taking up a course to become a sommelier. So the the listeners can sit back and relax with the virtual Jade Cargill and we'll be the virtual Mark Sterling and recommend a drink that they should have while they're watching this episode of Monday Night Raw. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that has, that has taken a turn. Brilliant. Oh, it's worth watching AEW Dark just for that segue. Definitely. <laughs> Good episode sitting through that for that moment, but it was worth it. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> was that last week's? Mondays? Tuesdays, yeah, because oh, it's Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah. isn't it? No. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. AEW Dark, AEW Dark Elevation, AEW Rampage, AEW Dynamite, AEW, Fucking know where we're going next. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> You've forgotten AEW nearly light again. AEW <laughs> <laughs> slightly cloudy. <laughs> so, Danny, do you have a recommendation for a drink that people should have while they're watching this episode of Raw? I would have to say just JD and Coke because it's probably it's the only thing I like really <laughs> when it comes to alcohol. But yeah, I would have to say that. Yeah. Superb. Dan, have you got a recommendation? Uh, I have. I've changed it at the last minute. And by changed, I mean looked up at the very last minute because I forgot to do it again. In honour of Reginald going after the 24-7 title, uh, I'm going to recommend Frau Gruber Brewing, their 24-7 lager, which I gave a 35 to untapped. It's uh, 5.2%, sorry. And yeah, tidy little lager. Excellent. Good reference. I am going to recommend... Hex Lager from Salt Brewing. It's 4% Hell's Lager. And the reason I'm recommending this is that the can art looks like a cage. So it does. There's a, there's a cage match in the main event. Mm. That's close enough. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> so now it's time for Best Beer of the Week. And Best Beer of the Week isn't a beer, it's a cider. And that's Thatcher's Ruby Rose Apple. So the best beer of the week there was Thatcher's Rosé Apple. It's 4% cider, which is given 4.75 to an untapped. Fair enough. I've never tried it, but I probably will at some point. It's one of those she buys in 
packs of 12 and and wakes up with none in the morning (laughs) (laughs) we have lots of nice beer in the house but never mind (laughs) Um, sometimes though you do just need some just bog standard cider or lager just to get you through yeah and we always sort of forget to buy cider you know when we go to bottle shops or whatever and then do we have any cider in the house and it's you know they're all ipas or whatever so yeah (laughs) fair enough so this is the first time that we're covering an episode of raw in over eight episodes um we've been over at nitro so the last episode of raw that we covered vince russo and ferrara were in charge of creative We've seen quite a lot of those two uh, in one way, shape or form in the last few episodes. But uh, mm. Vince McMahon is going to log into LinkedIn and, and look at the qualities that Chris Kesky has and see if it's appropriate to promote him to the position of uh, head writer of uh, Monday Night Raw. So Chris Kesky graduated from the University of New York in uh, 1984 with a bachelor's in fine art. Fair enough. Not sure how that would help in wrestling, but... <laughs> tried to look up about it and the University of New York are trying to tell you that that's the best place to do it so mind you that was on their website well they would say that <laughs> it goes to work MTV um, in a variety of roles whether it be consultant writer head writer works on remote control as head writer he works on the annual VMA awards he writes an episode of Views and Butthead and he writes several episodes of Celebrity Deathmatch I used to love Celebrity Deathmatch. That show was so much fun. It was completely daft, but I think working for MTV is a huge plus for Kresge because at that at that time MTV were they'd been hot for God knows how long, but they had programs like Beavis and Butthead Celebrity Deathmatch that were really really popular with the with the same audience that that Raw were bringing in, you know, the uh, the sort of the frat boy audience. If yeah. you like, that was that was going gangbusters. So, yeah, I can absolutely see why this went for Kresge. Did anyone see that episode of uh, Celebrity Deathmatch where Stone Cold faced Vince McMahon? I vaguely remember it, but I've not seen it in so long. Yeah, so same here. The only quote I can remember about um, Celebrity Deathmatch, I think there was one involving Hanson, and the commentator said, because they're so young, they have the potential to be annoying for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I also remember years later after Celebrity Deathmatch went off the air, uh, I remember going back to it and thinking that the referee looked like uh, Pierluigi Colina. He did, definitely. So while Kresge is working on uh, remote control, he meets Barry Williams, who played Greg Brady in The Brady Bunch, and ends up writing Barry Williams' biography with him. And that goes on to sell 300,000 copies. Must have done something right. And again, it's just another another string to his writing bow. Well, this sort of gets Kresge a little bit of a reputation of a celebrity as told by biographer, so mm-hmm. in quite high demand. He signs a deal to write with William Shatner uh, three volumes of William Shatner's autobiography. So WWE Hall of Famer, William Shatner. <laughs> That's all tired. <laughs> Yeah, shock or or Shatner's milking something. (laughs) Just on Shatner, I know people always say about the celebrity wing, but he is one of the celebrities that's been in over several decades. It's not Mm. just sort of turn up and leave. If any celebrity deserves to be in there, I think Shatner's a really good shout. That was a hell of a monkey flip, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I'd forgotten about that. (laughs) (laughs) 
I loved it when he was doing the themes sort of in his spoken voice performance. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> I must have blocked that from my mind, thank you. <laughs> I think that was 2008, wasn't it? Yeah. Ah, right. Yeah. 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 I, I was at uni at the time, so my access to wrestling was uh, intermittent at best. <laughs> I'm sure it's on YouTube. It'll be on the network. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> and then Chris Kresge goes on to become the head writer of The Daily Show. Again, cutting edge entertainment. Well, I say cutting edge in a popular mainstream entertainment wine. Um, it's a great facet to have. Yeah, so obviously this is, uh, you know, if, if you're going to look for a replacement to Russo and Ferrari, who've taken the show to, to a record high, this certainly seems like someone who has the television shots with the right demographic that they're looking for. Definitely. Absolutely, yeah. It's um, it's a step in the right direction. It's back to because obviously early days of Raw, we were looking at um, heads of creative that were very entrenched in the wrestling business and have been for decades. They've seen the success of Russo and Ferrara, and rather than try and replicate it, they've brought in somebody who can who's from that world or a similar world and can hopefully move it on. Yeah, so it sounds sounds like a good appointment. So in terms of the ratings during that period that uh, Russo and Ferrara were in charge. They had an average of 5.6, although you know it's fair to say the ratings were sort of increasing during that time. While Chris Kresge is going to be in charge of creative, the TV deal is actually going to be renegotiated. Um, Raw are going to move from the USA Network to TNN. So there is a period where there are some episodes that Kresge is writing on TNN. So we sort of split it out. So we're going to cover them for the, the highest and lowest on the USA and the highest and lowest on TNN, because it's not really fair to sort of compare those two to each other as they're in a different amount of homes, that kind of thing. But in terms of his USA average, he's got an average of 6.1. In terms of his TNN average, he's got an average of 5.23. And that compares to when Stephanie McMahon is going to come in and become this sort of overarching head of creative, actually actually above him. He's going to still be there, but she's going to be in charge and her average on TNN up to the end of the Monday Night Wars, um, she's going to be in charge for a, a fair bit after that, but up to the end of the Monday Night Wars is 4.92. Mm, interesting. I think with Kresge, you can, we can already see the uh, a point where the uh, the network changes is, is going to be an applicable factor, quite possibly, so there'll be some mitigation on that, but yeah, that sounds uh, sounds quite damning to uh, to Stephanie when you put it that way. Yeah. The ratings definitely sort of dropped during this period. T- to be fair, during this period on USA, the ratings are staying relatively stable o- over time, maybe maybe going down marginally, but it's certainly not a Kevin Nash time in charge of creating. No. Well, I, I did a little a little delve into the uh, into the spreadsheet and having a look. This this show is actually 51 weeks since the 8.1 that we covered uh, as the highest rated episode. It's 29 weeks since Kresge took over. In that 51 weeks, WCW is onto their fifth creative team and Raw hasn't been beaten in the ratings since the 8th of February, 1999. They were only beaten because uh, Nitro was running unopposed. And since Kresge took over in that 29 weeks, they've only dropped below a five once. Yeah, it's a very successful period. I I think the thing is, and I kind of mentioned this on the last show, but at this point, WCW's race is kind of against themselves rather than... I, th- I think we have to park the idea of them competing with Raw at this point. It's just can they yeah. improve what they've got? 
So the episode that we're covering today is the high at 7.4. It was on the 1st of May 2000. The low episode is on the 4th of September 2000. That's a rating of 4.2. And that actually is head-to-head with um, the highest rated of Vince Russo's solo charging time of Nitro when he gets uh, 3.6. And I think Mm -hmm. that's pretty much as close as it kind of gets in terms of being competitive between the two. Yeah, off the top of my head, that's what I was sort of looking at briefly last night, and yeah, that that tracks. So this show emanated from the Baltimore Arena in Maryland. I can't find a record of how many people were at this event, but the maximum that they've ever had for a WWF wrestling show at this um, arena was 12,374 on the 25th of January 2000, so just over um, four months away from this point, they had 11,113, so you've got to think it'd be kind of within that ballpark. I'd be shocked if it wasn't. There looked to be a lot of people there. Yeah, it's it certainly didn't look like there were swathes of empty seats, you know, and even if you did see an empty seat here or there, you, you'd see people going to the toilets or whatever. You, it's not as if, you know. Yeah. It was ra- rammed and rabid. Uh, I don't know if rabid's the right word. I'll come on to that. Maybe. <laughs> uh, so, they were better than the Nitro crowds we've been dealing with. Wasn't the house shows really successful around this time as well? I mean, WWF are doing sort of gangbuster business at this point, really. You know? Yeah. The, the, the printing money at this point. Yeah. Mm. It's before the ratings really do start, you know, consistently slipping. They're at sort of a plateau. It's a popular product. They've certainly got a lot of stars that people are happy to see. So, you know, it's it's a good time for the company, really. And a world away from, you know, when we started these reviews, scraping to get 2,000 people into an arena. Yeah, and they're all sat on bleachers in what looks like a high school gym. <laughs> well, there's probably a reason for that, Dan. <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So now it's time to go through our five uh, notable things to come up with a combined list, whether they be good, bad, or just talking points. So, Danny, as you're the guest, what was your first point? Well, this one's a big one, but it would have to be Vince McMahon's facial expressions. All night he was on fire, he stole the show. It actually made me feel like he lost the WWF title rather than Triple H because he totally overshadowed Triple H in this, and that's not a bad thing. That's my first. I actually had Vince McMahon on, well, a couple of my points, but one was sort of related to his promo, so I'll I'll mention it now and sort of combine the two. And it's one of those annoying things. Once you notice something in life, you find it quite hard to get away from it, and I don't think I'll ever be able to watch Vince McMahon without thinking this again. And... It says something about this show. And and then the problem with this show, I think, is that we came off that amazing episode of Nitro, which we've given our highest rating ever. We're coming into this episode of Raw, which is 7.4. I had really high expectations. And I think it's always a problem when you go into something with high expectations, because where can you go from there sort of thing? That's Um, why I never get excited for anything. Yeah, that's a life lesson, isn't it? There were interminable promos from the McMahon-Helmsley regime to get through on this show. But in terms of Vince McMahon, I noticed in terms of his cadence, in terms of the way, the way that he, he spoke, in terms of the actual lines of delivery, his promo style suddenly hit me that he is basically a heel Tony Blair. 
all the Blair's speeches were, were, were based on sort of Socratic rhetoric. They, they were based on key elements like repetition, 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 education, education, education. You know, Vince McMahon's going, you know, tonight rock. You're going to have the shortest title reign in WWF history. Tonight rock. You're going to be inside the steel cage tonight rock. Sort of repeating over and over again. And then he's going, you know, in order to avoid humiliation, in order to avoid embarrassment, in order, you know, in just sort of repeating these themes over and over again. And I know that when Nitro ran against the Westminster Dog Show, I turned off Nitro and started YouTube in the dog show to see if it was any better because that was rough. This is the first time in my life I have turned off Raw to YouTube Tony Blair speeches and gone from the best speeches of Tony Blair to just the ordinary ones because I was having more fun watching them. It's insane. I get the feeling we're going to differ a lot today. <laughs> not necessarily on this point. <laughs> and, and I just want to say for the record, I was not a Tony Blair fan at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, you know, be careful what you wish for sort of thing, but uh, certainly in 2000, I wasn't Tony Blair's biggest fan. <laughs> just another point on that Vince McMahon point you made. Did you notice he keeps saying in the interest of, in the interest of, in the interest of? That's yeah. one more. Yep. Yeah, yeah. He, he's been watching Tony Blair speeches. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's more the point that Chris Cressy has been watching Tony Blair speeches. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I think the thing about this whole show, it felt like a WWE Raw from 2021 in a bad way that it felt very scripted in terms of the promos. They felt they were going completely line for line a lot of the time. I mean, there's no, you know, you wouldn't do that with The Rock and you wouldn't do that with Jericho, but a lot of the show felt like I've got this massive amount of verbiage, I've remembered it and I'm performing it. Mm. I didn't quite get that, but then I think I was actually just, to be honest, I, I was a bit blinded by the fact, yeah, we're back on Raw, this is my this is my wheelhouse, this is my, this is my childhood. I think the bits where Vince in particular really shone uh, was the backstage stuff, where he felt like a gangster by way of Coro, which for me is just great television. Like when he's intimidating Earl Hebner and he's circling around him and he's talking shit to him. That It was cheesy, but I enjoyed it. Definitely. It was one of the higher points. I don't think Vince as well. Vince, his facial expressions, like as well as his problems, his facial expressions, he can convey about five different emotions through his Adam's apple. If he wants to, <laughs> you know, just like sort of like when the crowd start chatting asshole, you could just see. I, I could. I was watching it and I could just see like his nostrils flare as he's trying to keep his temper. <laughs> Back then, Vince was an absolute master of just looking seven different kinds of pissed off all at once. Yeah, he, he did. He did have great facial expressions. I mean, I, I'm more than happy to put the concept of Vince McMahon on. I wouldn't be putting it on for a positive. Yeah, I mean, Vince wasn't actually one of uh, wasn't one of mine, but I think the problem is, Vince to me, during the Triple H segment was good by comparison, because Triple H waffled on and on and on and on. It um, was laying it was laying the framework for for the authority. <laughs> he actually even said, "The game isn't over. The game's only just beginning." and Boy, was it only just beginning. Jesus Christ. It really fucking was. And then you had Stephanie's insipid but pointless part of the promo. Definitely. And then Vince gets on. It's like, 
okay, right, this actually has some story relevance. This is planting some seeds for later in the show and for the coming weeks. And yeah, so in that one segment, he was decent by comparison. Then you get, like I say, you're getting intim- intimidating Hebner. You've got him backstage with Road Dog and X-Pac. And it's like, it, again, it's, it's that sort of mobster or gang, you know, sort of gangster thing of, you know, we're family and keeping it together. And he's the, you know, the patriarch and all of that. So, but yeah, Vince was was a decent presence presence throughout the show. Even he just had to he just had to turn up, and people would chant calling him an arsehole. That backstage thing with Gerald Briscoe, where um, he's saying I, I need a favour, and Briscoe's doing says, "Do you want your coffee with cream?" No, I want you to get. <laughs> oh, so, so what? I, I, the thing about the Stephanie one, even though Stephanie's promo was awful. It felt like she'd forgotten her lines, and because she'd forgotten her lines, at least she was improvising. And it felt less structural and more in the moment. But even though the content of it was wasn't great, I kind of liked the feel of it. Yeah, Vince pulled a bit of that as well. Like when the fans, when the crowd started chanting, "Shane's a pussy," and he just sort of went quiet, and then, and then Vince says, "Well, if you think he is, all I can say is tonight he will be WWF champion." And that was quite good, actually, because that actually stopped him in one of those repetition loops that he was in. Yeah, he actually stopped to do that. And I wish that they would do that more in the modern product. You know, if if something comes up and is blocking, then try and deal with it rather than just plough through. So yeah. uh, I'll give him that moment, definitely. Just on the Stephanie thing, did anyone see when she kissed this man on the lips? That really yeah. creeped me out. That really creeped me out. I'm sorry. <laughs> That yeah. was that was one of those where I was just like, so that's where Vince got the idea for the incest storyline that you pitched. And the way the camera sort of focused on it for a while. I mean, I'd actually put that down, down as a separate point. I mean, I know it only lasts seconds, but it, it is so oh, It sends chills down your spine in a bad way. It, it's that creepy. I don't want it near the top five. <laughs> well, um, we won't discuss it when it comes to my turn. I've ticked it off my list now, but... His wooden promos and his incest and <laughs> I, I between his wooden between his wooden promos and his wood for his dot. Yeah, I thought Vince was all right tonight. I, I actually quite enjoyed it. He wasn't full on form, you know, like when you see him see him opposite Austin, because that's lightning in a bottle. You know, that's pure magic then too. But yeah, I'd, uh, it's not something I'd, I'd really considered. But Danny's uh, Danny's taught me around. Cool. So we've got our first one, which is Vince McMahon's the political speeches of Tony Blair. So, <laughs> so Dan, what's your next one? I want to go for Crash Holly. Specifically Crash Holly versus Steve Blackman, but we can have Crash Holly as a whole if you want to make it that. We see Crash Holly and he's just parking his car. There's a valet or you know some sort of coordinator guy there to, uh, to show him where his space is, etc., the valet goes for uh, goes for the roll up. There's a referee behind the car. Crash shoves the valet into the boot of his car and runs off with his gear and his title, which I just thought was brilliant. And then later in the show, we have uh, Crash Holly being interviewed by the king of the frosted tips, Michael Cole, uh, who asks about the twenty four seven pressure. We get Crash. He's cracking basically. He's cracking under the pressure. He's going a bit nuts. And then out of nowhere, Steve Blackman clocks him with a trash can and gets a two count. The fight around the backstage, the come out into the arena. We've got a great bit where Crash just has a stick. 
don't know where he got it from. He's just got a stick. He's making fun of uh, Steve Blackman's martial arts entrance. Steve Blackman nicks it off him, cracks it over him, and suddenly Blackman's got two sticks, which you never want to happen because Steve Blackman will beat the shit out of you. And they're just, they're just having, it's, it's just a few minutes of just hardcore nonsense. Crash Holly's got baking trays at one point. Steve Blackman takes out Crash's knees with the baking trays and gets him for two. Crash runs out through the crowd and one of the Baltimore Ravens offensive linemen gets Crash in a bear hug, tries to pin him only for his own teammates who he sat with, dragging him off trying to get the pin themselves. And then Crash just fucks off out of there, getting pursued by Steve Blackman. And the two football players just sort of walk back to the seats and shrug and just like, well, we tried. <laughs> and I just thought it was marvellous. It was just great entertainment and just a nice little just palate cleanser before the main event. Just on Crash Holly, as he pulled up in that car, did you, I mean, you talk about Vince McMahon's facial expressions. Crash Holly was another one who had just hundreds that he could do. Just, it was always on when he was on camera. That's how I felt. I thought a decent acting performance from Crash Holly, especially the Michael Cole interview thing. And I thought it was a really good question from Cole about, you know, are you paranoid? Are you stressed? All this sort of stuff. Everything must be mounting up on you. You know, because obviously he's the 24-7 t- uh, champion. I, I really liked that. No, Rob is the hardcore champion, defending it 24-7. Yes. The hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> Reginald ain't got shit on Crash Holly. <laughs> <laughs> I always really worry when we get uh, American sports people on the shows because I listen to so much crime in sports that I'm assuming some of them will have fallen off the rails. And certainly one of them on this episode has massively fallen off the rails. Another one on this episode, uh, Sidney Ponson, who, who's actually a Dutch citizen, received, because of his excellent baseball career, received the Order of Orange Nassau, which is effectively a Dutch knighthood in 2003. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. There's not too many baseball players who'll have that. No. The other thing about this episode was that they had these three American football players and two baseball players, but with the three American football players from the Ravens, there's a a line in commentary where JR said, the good men are just with the wrong league. And Jerry Lawler just goes, eh? Uh, And (laughs) the XFL, and it's just just dropped there. But then later on in the night, JR says something just after they've sort of had the crazy, weird, wacky roll-up stuff. JR said, this wouldn't happen in the XFL. You've obviously come to some arrangement with the Ravens to have them on the show, and you've shit on their entire league, let alone the team they play for. I mean, you're just burning the goodwill. Why would the Ravens or any other NFL team ever want to work with you again when you just have the guys on, make them look like mugs, and so that the XFL's better? Because that's how Vince do. <laughs> just, just burning bridges for the sake of it. But... Oh, definitely. It's just. It was a bit stupid, yeah. But I still, I still enjoyed the uh, the, the player involvement here. You know, for anybody who follow, you know, anybody. Who, obviously, I don't know who they are. I didn't follow American football in the uh, in the late nineties, early two thousands. But it, you know, it'd be like imagine if uh, like they've had the UK shows where like Jose Mourinho has been ringside or Wayne Rooney or somebody. Imagine you see Wayne Rooney trying to roll somebody up for the 24-7 title. You'd get a right laugh out of that. He did slap Wade Barrett, but... Uh... It was piss weak. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't think this hits the levels of 
when um, Ted Washington was beating up Jeff Jarrett on Nitro. We very much enjoyed that. Yes, I'd almost forgotten about that. Yes, that word. <laughs> I like anybody beating up Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> Who was that team that jumped Jeff Jarrett in one of the first TNA shows, NWA TNA shows? And uh, apparently they just took matters into their own hand. Do you, do you know who that was? Oh, Tennessee Titans. That's who it was. Did you ever hear about that story? No. Uh, he's a massive Titans fan. Mm. Uh, used to be on Nitro with Titan jerseys. Uh, it was set up where he was just going to taunt them from the ring, but I think they was just going to get in a shoving match. But apparently they'd been drinking too much and they jumped the rails and just started just brawling with him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good on him. Don't take any shit from Jeff Jarrett. Yeah. <laughs> At least we know he wasn't severely injured, you know, because no. then, then I might feel bad. Um, <laughs> I'm more than happy to put, you know, Crash Holly's escapades through the night and the celebrity involvement that that had. I think it, uh, I'm one of the few people who think that celebrity involvement's really important in wrestling if you want to appeal to a different audience. What do you think, Danny? Absolutely. Yes, it's crucial. It's um, It's just reaching out to people that normally wouldn't watch wrestling. Like There was a, a rumour, uh, I think it was 2015, where Justin Bieber was going to tag team with John Cena to face the big show. And was it Johnny Ace or was it somebody else? That would have brought in a lot of fans. Even though I'm not a fan of Justin Bieber, I could see the bigger picture. That would have brought in a lot of eyeballs to see John Cena team up with Justin Bieber. So. Yeah, because 2015 was around the time that they did all the stuff with uh, Stephen Amell. I think uh, somebody had been in Arrow, maybe maybe Cody Rhodes. Cody had been in Arrow, or that yeah. came after. But anyway, they were doing the whole Stardust thing, and he was thinking that Stephen Amell's a, a real superhero and all of that. You know, that whole storyline's memorable. But even you go back to the guest host era of Raw, you remember the stuff with Jericho and Bob Barker's memorable. That Hugh Jackman decking Dolph Ziggler. So good. So stuff good. like that. And actually breaking his fucking jaw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that was- Wolverine broke Dolph Ziggler's jaw. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Same William Shatner. Yeah. yeah. Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton was another one. Yeah. And then you go back even further, the first, the very first WrestleMania, where they had, what was it, like Liberace, uh, Muhammad Ali, and um, loads more names. That I th- was Cindy Lauper was involved in yeah. that one as well? Yes, he was. Was it WrestleMania 6 where they had a load like, you know, Henry Winkler and Lou Ferrigno and, well, Donald Trump? Yeah, um, I think that was 7 because that was the one we looked at for uh, that 90s wrestling podcast. Yeah, um, and they had Alex Trebek and, you know, they, they, they just seemed to be, and Willie Nelson, they had, you know, stars all over it. Mm. Well, like Lawrence, Lawrence Taylor main eventing against, uh, was, it, uh, was it Lawrence Taylor versus Bam Bam? Yes, and Steve Mongo McMichael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge crossover star. So, Danny, do you think we should put Crash Holly on the list? Absolutely, yes. Right, so we've got two. So it's my go next. One thing on this show that really grinded my gears was the way they booked Earl Hebner. So, as you've rightly mentioned, Danny, he does get carpeted uh, earlier in the night when Vince McMahon's chewing him out in the office. But then he goes on what can only be described as a Goldberg-esque tear through the roster. So we've got this match going on. It's uh, X-Pac with Tori versus Chris Jericho. At the end of the match, 
it's a, it all sort of breaks down and X-Pox gets in a shoving match with Earl Hebner. Earl Hebner um, pushes him down. Road Dog, who's tagging with X-Pox in DX uh, at this point, gets shoved down by Earl Hebner. Later on in the main event, Earl Hebner comes down. He knocks over Gerald Briscoe and then he slams the cage door into Triple H's head. And, <laughs> you know, what the fuck's going on? What's going on? It's it's Earl, it's Earl Hogan, brother. <laughs> at, the, at the end, all these referees. I'm sorry. At the in the X Pack Jericho match, all these referees stream out, holding him back. Former WWF champion Sergeant Slaughter's there holding him back, and they cannot hold back the <laughs> beating powerhouse that is. Earl Hebner. Ah, right, but you see, what the thing is, Hebner knows all the tricks that people use to hold people to hold people back like that. He's a master, so he knows how to wriggle his way out of it. It's <laughs> it not strength, it's tactics. It wasn't he wasn't wriggling in his way out of it. It, it was not, not that you could see, not that the untrained eye could see. It was like watching Muhammad Ali. He was dominant this night. He really was. It's um I, I feel like they because they didn't have Stone Cold Steve Austin for this night, they just gave all the Stone Cold spots to El Hebner. <laughs> Imagine if he'd shaved his head for the night. That's so right. <laughs> and a drawn on goatee. <laughs> that, is, that is spot on, Danny, you're right. We've covered matches where legitimate wrestlers like Shawn Michaels and Roddy Piper have been the special guest referees, and they haven't run through people like this. Absolutely not. <laughs> was it right? I, I can never remember if I'm making this storyline up because I've never gone back and, and searched for it through through the network or just online. I'm pretty sure there was a referee strike at one point yeah. around about this time, if not maybe a, a little bit before. But in my mind, this is what leads to the uh, the referee strike. You do actually see Triple H bullying them backstage, don't you? They're, they're like having yeah. a meeting at the lower spiral staircase for some reason. Have Dramatic effect. The, have yeah. you seen the SmackDown after this Raw? Yeah. Uh, a lot of these shows have a bingeability factor. So sometimes if it's a really good show, I'll go and watch, you know, the SmackDown, the pay-per-view afterwards. I'm not fucking watching the SmackDown. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should see what happens to Earl Hebner because he gets destroyed on the SmackDown after. And he gets he does a stretcher job because I think it's Triple H mainly pasting him. And he actually does the blade job first and then the stretcher job, and it's pretty amazing. But, um, wow. yeah. Bloody 50-50 booking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why, why would you put a rocket on Earl Hebner just to uh, take it away from him at the end of the week? It's, he was... it's, it's a reward from the, uh, from the Montreal screw job. <laughs> just, just going back to Earl quickly, when he was in that office with Vince McMahon, I was begging to, for Vince McMahon to reference either the twin Hebner angle or the Montreal screw job, and uh, to just to piss on his chips a bit more, as Mags would say. Yeah, I was begging for that to just, but he never did. He never bothered. Yeah, if you if you're booking Hebner that strong later in the show, at least have him have a, just half a ball, just to stand up to Vince and say, "I've done your dirty work once." Imagine, Imagine if Vince had been chewing him out, you know, just shouting at him, and they were bleeping swear words when he was chewing him out. Imagine <laughs> if he just turned around and went, I'm Dave. 
<laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> so you, you're sort of maligning it, but it still ends up being a talking point. And as ridiculous as it is, I found it all entertaining, at least with Briscoe. He got Briscoe from behind. Anybody can shove any, anybody from behind. And with Triple H, he had the doll there. Briscoe had already done the same thing to The Rock. At this point, Briscoe's an older guy. He's wanged Rock. The premise has been set, basically, of wanging a wrestler in the head with the doll. So there's no reason Hebner couldn't do that to an injured Triple H. Briscoe's a legend. I mean, I know they booked him as a stooge, but former tag team champion, you know, he's, he's a legend. His brothers are a legend. They train legends. You know, I think my problem with it is, you know, I can kind of appreciate it when people come in and the celebrities or whatever, but to my mind, referees kind of have this role on the show. That That's kind of one of the reasons I've got so much issue with Aubrey Edwards, who tries to make it all about her. And unless you're actually going to do, you know, the dangerous Danny Davis or the Nick Patrick angle where they're, they're going to, you know, be a, a heel referee and turn and then cheat to win, I don't think there's any scenario when the guy who's been spending the last... 15 years taking ridiculous ref bumps and being out for 20 minutes because someone's brushed past him can turn into Goldberg overnight. See, the mistake you're making, Rob, is you're thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which goes for a lot of wrestling, to be fair. And, uh, and as far as Aubrey Edwards goes, you and I both know that she's trying to land planes as well as referee a match. So you need some table tennis. I watching um, the Michael Palin documentary on North Korea and it was showing the ladies that they have sort of marshalling traffic in, you know, directions mm. with all their um, choreographed movements and they have to do a special march when they walk into it. And it very much did remind me of Aubrey Edwards referee in a match. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've gone from Aubrey Edwards refereeing to North Korea. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dear me. But, um, as far as Hebner goes, it was on my list to, uh, to do because it was so ridiculous. And I, I, I can... If I'm trying to justify it, if I'm trying my hardest to justify it, then it must be because he got brought back the night before. He got brought back the, the night before. The, for some reason, they're trying to ride that wave of momentum. I don't know why. I tell you what, though, the crowd, for as much as I hated it, and I really passionately hated it, the crowd loved it. Yeah, that's what I mean. The crowd, the crowd popped. They were hot for ill. <laughs> hot for Hebner. Madison Rain. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Hebner yeah, was, was 50 odd. years old at this point in 2000. 50. Wow. I'll be there soon. <laughs> Just another 18 years. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it because it was complete bullshit. But for me, there's a lot of entertainment factor when something goes into the ridiculous. Like I've, I think I've said on here before, one of my one of the movies I've watched the most in my life is Jason X, because I love trashy slasher flicks. They just they make me laugh, and that's this this hits that same note of being so ridiculous that it's entertaining. Again, I think my problem was that I went into this episode thinking I, I had really high hopes for it and thinking it was going to be really good, and I See, wasn't. Rob, this show as I'm doing this show has had such an effect on me that I go into every show expecting nothing. Because so many times we've had the high-rated ones be crap and the crap-rated ones be good that I just think, right, fucking clean slate. I'm coming into this with no expectation. Probably the best way forward. 
Remember, kids, the key to happiness is low expectations. <laughs> what did you think, Danny? Oh, just about L. Just, I just cannot believe that they went this far with him. <laughs> it definitely does belong on the list. But, I mean, just after he was injured, I, I think he took a couple of weeks off and then he was back and just normal L. Hebner just taking ridiculous bumps, as you said. And just, yeah, what can you say? <laughs> I mean, if they'd had a scene where Earl Hebner had found a magical lantern in backstage and he'd rubbed it and a genie had granted him three wishes and one of his wishes had been to be Goldberg for the night, I'd have bought it. <laughs> I would have loved that. That would have been better. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> or... Go- Goldberg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm popping for my own joke like a twat. <laughs> I'll create a picture and post it on Twitter soon. <laughs> oh, please do. Gold Bill. Leave it for weeks. Okay, I will do. <laughs> no, put it on now with no context and then we can revive it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Danny, you're next. What's what's your next one? Um, I would have to say Two Call versus the Hardy Boys because as I was watching it, I was totally expecting the Hardy Boys to win this because they were the more popular team. But then when Two Call won, the crowd just exploded and I exploded. I said, oh, wow, actually Two Call getting a win. They were massively over in 2000. It's a shame that didn't last past 2000, but that pop just got me, I'd have to say. Yeah, and I think the thing was with this match, and I have my exact notes at the end of this match, and I have opinions on this match. But my notes at the end of this match was the match was pretty rough, but the crowd were literally just there to see the worm. So everyone went home happy. Absolutely. But I mean, when I saw the Hardy Boys, I thought, 2,000 Hardy Boys, this is going to be awesome. And it should be on Botchamania, this match. (laughs) I mean, there's an embarrassing scene where they've obviously set it up. Aha, we've got this great idea. Jeff Hardy's going to be stood in the corner. Grandmaster Sexy's going to grab his hair. And he's stood in the corner trying to grab his hair. And Jeff Hardy keeps looking over his shoulder and (laughs) takes another step back. He must have taken three steps back before he got him. I mean, he was embarrassed. <laughs> this is live fucking television. There was something else, but they, they kept committing to it. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? I think it's because the, the Hardys at this point weren't they weren't stars yet. They were, they were well on the way. And they'd had some really good matches, but they were still sort of a bit wet behind the ears and you know a bit green. Maybe they just didn't... I just don't think they had yet that ability to, to improvise. And then... Uh, you know, two cool have been around. They've both been around for a while by this point, but it just sometimes they just don't have the chemistry, and sometimes you know even 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 veterans can get lost from time to time, and maybe that was it. Maybe just nobody in that in that situation had the wherewithal to to improvise. I think did they mention on commentary about did they say Grandmaster Sexy had just come back from a, an injury or something? Yes, this yes. was two cool's uh, big return. Yeah. Sky so, Too High wrestled the night before. He wrestled uh, Dean Malenko in a very good match. I was going to say, I, I bet that would be quite good. I mean, Sky Too High was, a, was a, a, you know, a decent hand in the ring before he sort of took on this gimmick. I've always had a soft spot for Too Cool, mainly because a few weeks back I was going through some stuff uh, just in the shed as we were clearing it out, ready for you know, a new shed coming in. And uh, I found a, my favourite bit of wrestling memorabilia that I, th- I thought we'd lost years ago. Um, in 2000, me and my family were, were in New York. I was, I'd have been 11, 
and we went to WWF New York, the nightclub that they used to have in Times Square. And me and my brother went in a photo booth and we got a mocked up WWF uh, magazine cover with me and him with our faces superimposed over two cools. So I found this thing because I've said it before, Friday night, Sky Sports 1, me and my brother sat watching it 10 till 12. For some reason, massive, as big a sandwich as we could make and ingest in that time. And it was just a massive nostalgia pop. So it, it was it was fun seeing too cool, even if the uh, even if the match was was a bit rough. I enjoyed it, but it doesn't make my top five. So I think I'd have to I'd have to stick a pin in it for now, if you don't mind. It was on my kind of honourable mentions as a botch fest, but um, yeah, we can always come to it. Yeah. What's your next one, Dan? I want to talk about the women's match. Jackie and the Cat versus Ivory and Terry. I'll be honest, I saw this on paper. And my notes go, before I'd even started the show, I just put a side note there. It says, I really hope this isn't terrible. It's going to be terrible, isn't it? My first note on the first entrances, just on the on the ring walks, already feels sick at King's Commentary. Then it, can, I, can I just oh, turn down? Yeah. You owe Mark Madden an apology. Um, you have no, no, I don't. You have said on previous episodes that Mark Madden is worse than Jerry Lawler. There's a scene where the cat hits her head. She's moving around concussed, and Jerry Lawler goes, here, kitty, kitty. I wasn't wrong about Mark Madden. I was just varying degrees of right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, 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 bullshit, bullshit aside, King was fucking awful. And it's definitely worse than Mark Madden. It's just been that long since we've covered a Raw that I'd forgotten. Wasn't King married to the cat at this point? Yeah, I still don't think it's okay to... No, um... it's te- no absolutely not. <laughs> it, some, it somehow makes it worse. Yeah. <laughs> he said no, about what? wanting the cat to have his litter and... Oh, you know, He was basically talking about, yeah, God, it's awful. What are they doing at home? But we did get a, we did get a slight uptick when JR actually pointed out something relevant, saying that Jacqueline and Ivory are trained wrestlers and Terry and the cat aren't. So you know, adds a layer to the match and possibly to the story. Then King dragged it right down again. But we're not we've never been a fan, never been fans on this show of watching wrestling on mute. If you if you mute the commentary to this match, it's a bloody good match. It's actually Ivory and Jackie putting some work. A fair clip as well, because they know they've not got a lot of time. I mean, Ivory jumps to start. We've got uh, Jackie hits a, a really good cross body, and there's just they're just going hell for leather at each other. And Jack, so yeah, Ivory and Jackie were fantastic. <laughs> Literally just having a wrestling match, which, like I say, if you mute the commentary, is perfect. Terry's getting in the ring, breaking up the two counts, making herself a nuisance. <laughs> Jr. lowers himself with some snarky call when. Terry kicked. Uh, there was a weird, actually it was a weird role reversal. JR had a snarky call saying, "No, that that was a really strong kick," in that exactly exact tone of voice. And then King was actually jumped in, saying, "Oh well, it doesn't take much. You've got to do, all you've got to do is disrupt your opponent," which was just a moment in Bizarro World. But yeah, I actually really enjoyed the match. Even the even the stuff you know the stuff with Cat and Terry, you know, Cat's throwing throwing punches. She gets a body slam. The sort of the shenanigans. Uh, shenanigans finish where Ivory Blood drops Cat as Cat's going for the pin, drags Terry on top of her while the ref's distracted. She then in turn accidentally distracts the ref, so Jackie does the exact same thing. 
I thought it was a really clever finish. And this just in terms of bell in terms of bell to bell action uh, is, I think, off the top of my head, probably the best women's match we've watched. I think it's the second. I think Monster Ripper versus Mona was better. Yes, um, sorry, yes, second best. The one thing I will say about the cat and Terry, they appear to be wearing about six-inch heels. So the fact they were able to do anything and the fact they were running is kind yes. of an achievement in and of itself. And what I would have liked about this, so at the end of the match when Cat and Ivory win, I would have liked them to be able to go and go against Bully's prize board and see what they could win because it felt <laughs> like Bullseye. They had someone who'd played darts before and someone who'd never played darts. And, they, they were, you know, so I, I don't know why Jim Bowen wrote this section of the show, but it was the second best women's match we've seen, but it wasn't good by any stretch of the imagination. No, I mean, I know I was saying earlier about having no expectations, but as soon as I see a women's match involved and I know King's on commentary, you have a preconception of what it's going to be. But it still it exceeded expectations. Like you said, it's the second best women's match we've seen co- uh, on the shows we've covered. I thought it, de- and the, the work that Ivory and Jackie were putting in in particular was of a decent quality. So I thought it was worth a mention. It, it definitely made my top five because of the bullseye reference and because, <laughs> because TNA enjoyed so much success when they followed bullseye on Challenge TV. It was the perfect partnership. I remember that so well. Together. And Chris Kresge had jumped in his time machine. He'd gone forward and seen what was an absolute rating smash in the UK. And he thought, I'm bringing this back. <laughs> I remember that so well. It was sitting there on a Sunday night. You'd watch TNA, Bullseye, um, a few other game shows as well on Challenge. What I absolutely loved about it, they'd occasionally like slip things in commentary. You'd get Mike Tanay and Taz just randomly talking about Jim Bowen. Oh, it was man. Sorry, yeah, I, I, I'd completely forgotten about that. It was a great time for TNA. That was, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, when it was on Sunday nights, that was at like that was when the Maximum Impact tour was like the highlight of every every January. Definitely. Yeah, so it, it's definitely on my list, Dan. Uh, second best movie match we've seen. But awful Jerry Lawler commentary, awful concept. Um, uh, you know, I'm happy to put it on as a negative. Uh, what, what's your thoughts, Danny? <laughs> um. <laughs> I would say yes, but uh, to be honest, I just couldn't get past the King's commentary. It was just, oh, just, no, just so. But I would stick it on anyway, regardless, because of the... No, you don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to agree, mate. You shoot me no, down if you want. We no, can stick a pin in it. Just, we've got, yeah, we've we'll got think, all the stuff yeah, to cover. I think, I think we'll stick a pin in that one then, because the, the King, he just, no, it, he just couldn't. I just couldn't. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine, mate. Like I say, watch it on mute, because King's commentary will bring sick to the back of your throat. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just pleased that somewhere in the world, Mark Madden's happy that he's been elevated from the most skeevy uh, wrestling commentator ever to second. <laughs> <laughs> he's been demoted. <laughs> yeah. And that's just because that's just I've not watched a Raw in two months. <laughs> I, told, I told you, you said at the time you thought it was worse, and I said, and I said it was recency bias. <laughs> For the first time in my life, wrong, uh, Rob, I'm wrong. <laughs> That may or may not be a lie. <laughs> Excellent. So, talking about bullshit. Um... <laughs> <laughs> it was bullseye, Rob. <laughs> no, well, it was bullseye. So, and talking about skeevy Jerry Lawler, 
we have Eddie Guerrero versus S.A. Rios. And in Eddie Guerrero's corner, there is the recently defrocked. No, she's not been kicked out of the Catholic Church. She's recently lost her prom dress, China. And uh, two adults at prom. A prom dress is a style of dress. It doesn't necessarily need to be for the prom. And in S.A. Rios's corner, wearing a very disheveled dress with holes in, is Lita, who appears to be... Well, uh, Jerry Lawler makes a comment about, look at that shelf, you could put a beer on it. Oh, I didn't hear that at the time. It was just... Oh, I mean, Jerry Lawler was giggling all the way through this. You know, just with his comments about bra and panties and, and literally just giggling afterwards. And China did a scoop slam on Eddie Guerrero. And Jerry Lawler was delighted about how deep on the crotch she'd had to go to do the scoop slam. Rough. Sorry, I was just swallowing the vomit. Yeah. I mean, this was the worst kind of awful. Uh, we get the replay of when China's had the prom dress torn off her, and then she, it, she she's like, yeah, I look good in my underwear, and pausing. And then we get, yeah, well, she, she, she owned it, I guess. And then we get the prom dress ripped off Lita. Lita and S.A. Rios are trying to cover up Lita's body, and Jerry Lawler's shouting, move his hands. Yeah, I just remembered that before you said it. Yeah. Beer, more beer. <laughs> anyway, Matt, Matt Madden's waiting for that apology. <laughs> Matt, Matt Madden can fuck off. I'm still glad he got beat up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, do, I, know, I know it's... The uh, thing is, for me, Jerry Lawler's commentary was one of the massive down points of this show. And it's... I, I don't know whether I want to make such such a big deal because it is awful and it deserves calling out. There's but, something else I want to make that about this match. Everyone hmm. says that um, Eddie Guerrero was underutilising WCW and when he goes over to WWF, they use him properly. It takes him five years to become champion in WWF. When you look at the amount of mid-carders like Jeff Jarrett, Booker T and Scott Steiner that become world champion you know, in that period while he's away, Eddie Guerrero's gone from being, in, you know, in decent storylines when we've seen him on Nitro to this shit. Yeah, but he looked good, though. <laughs> I mean, Ed, Eddie looks good because he's Eddie. Yeah. But you're not telling <laughs> You know, that storyline that we reviewed when he was having that uh, rivalry with Bishop, you know, about the yeah. creator. That was great. That was, we, we pulled that out. It was one of the positive moments on the show. And he's a bit player in this bullshit on this show. Yeah, but this is better. <laughs> I think I think if Eddie Guerrero just came in 2002, because from 2002 until his death, he was just tremendous. I think that match with The Rock in 2002 just set him apart from it. Just it made me forget the awful 2000 and mid. How long was he in 2001? Uh, about five months, I think. And he was just booked terribly, to be honest with you. But after 2002, just. Especially 2003, 2004 were his best years. Yeah, I'll be honest. I did just, I did just want to see Rob's face when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone thinks that Eddie Guerrero is booked better because what they see that moment when he becomes champion, mm. 
that yeah. that's what they see when they see Eddie Guerrero. They don't see this bit, and they don't see what happened to all the other mid carders in WCW when he left. Yeah, but that's uh, it's um, history is written by the winners. That it's one of those myths. It's up there with Russo killed WCW. Kevin Nash. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Kevin Nash. But things you can, Eddie was over. He was over everywhere. It wasn't a great match. It was a bit of a nostalgia pop for me seeing Essie Rios and uh, and Lita, uh, even if they were embroiled in that awful bullshit. The match itself, what little time they got, they deserved more. But I enjoyed seeing them, even if it was crap. So would you put it on as one of the top five? It was on my top five, but mainly just for... Uh, <laughs> I absolutely loved the entrance. For Eddie and uh, for Eddie and China, China comes out looking absolutely badass. Eddie looked suave as hell uh, with his little bow tie and there all the roses. So I am tempted. I'm I don't know. I'm kind of I'm getting splinters in my ass because I've been I'm, in, I'm sat on a fence now. If uh, can we uh, can we throw it to Danny for a sec? I wouldn't put this on the top five because to me it was just too short. But no, I wouldn't give put this on the top five. I wouldn't put this on top five at all. No, too short. Every time someone says backlash, I just get that Joey Styles in my head. <laughs> I'm not good enough to call backlash. <laughs> <laughs> he mocks God, Rob. He mocks God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's on the shoot. <laughs> yeah, I have been reconsidering this one as it's gone along. You've kind of talked talked me out of it. I think I was just happy to see Eddie when I sort of looked at putting this online. It was it was a bit just it was just nondescript really. It wasn't nondescript, Dan. It was fucking awful. <laughs> In your opinion. It seems was a like lot of, it... but the common de- the common denominator for for things being awful is king. <laughs> yeah. It seems like Eddie Gray was injured uh, around this time. I just always remember him in that cast they used when he first came in. Was he already injured when he came in or? It just went bit him not stepping up his game until 2002, as I said before. But yeah, yeah, because he'd been off Nitro for a while, so mm. so quite possibly. Mm. Right, so Danny, it's you next. If you've got any left or any other points you want to mention, yep, I would have to say Taz's pre-match promo <laughs> is amongst the worst pre-match promos I've ever seen in 21 years of watching wrestling. I mean, just. It, was, it confused me. I had to watch it about five, six times to understand it because it was like, what was he saying? Was he saying he wanted to make Chris Benoit happy? Oh, sorry, Stevie Richards. Did he want his, <laughs> did, he want his, did he want him to be happy? Or did he want him... Was he threatening to make him happy? I think that's what I got throughout uh, the whole promo. I mean, it was just a short little thing, but, I mean, it made me laugh. So I'll definitely put it in the top five. It was, it was just ridiculous. It was crap, on it? <laughs> Absolutely crap. I, 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 I transcribed it. And just word for word, Chris Benoit, I'm not going to try and do an impression of Taz. Chris Benoit, you come out here week in and week out with that same puss on your face, like the world owes you something. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to turn that frown upside down, punk. And just in brackets, I put, that isn't a threat. <laughs> Oh that is not a threat. It's like, it's like it's just aggressively say, I'm going to make you so. Fucking happy you will not believe it. <laughs> you piece of shit. You deserve happiness. <laughs> and then says, so you just keep that bad mood because the mood is about to change. And it's like, 
I think he went, he was just going for that. The mood is about to change and just trying to shoehorn it in. Mm. And it's like, he's just really badly reverse engineered. Definitely. <laughs> a, pr- a promo to it. Like, the mood is about to change. Benoit's always in a bad mood. <laughs> I'm going to put him in a good, good <laughs> mood, but, 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 but violently. <laughs> I, I did think about Steve during this promo because mm. it's that episode of The Simpsons where Lisa goes to ballet school. And the ballet teacher says, turn that frown upside down. And um, so she smiles and the ballet teacher goes, that's a smile, not an upside down frown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten oh, about Christ. that, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the Taz promo makes it, makes it for me because it was so bad. Mm. And then you've got, you've got Taz versus uh, Stevie Richards after. <laughs> Intercontinental champion Chris Benoit, Stevie Richards. Dr. Stevie Richards, who is a oh, yeah. doctor. <laughs> Dr. Stevie, who only wears blue scrubs. <laughs> For a match with two guys of the talent of those two, it just sucked the air out of the building because it was so short. And then you had the satin stuff and hardcore Holly coming out. And it was the it was one of the points where it just killed the crowd. Remind me again, what was Chris Benoit doing on Nitro when he got fucked better in WWE when he jumped? <laughs> <laughs> not being champion. <laughs> yeah, he was champion when he left. But yeah, we, we've he, never seen that. <laughs> but he, I mean, you know, he was he was positioned in a much better role than what what he was getting here. He, albeit he is intercontinental champion, but I, I still think that myth. Not well, according to um, Peacock. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Taz has a match. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be honest, it didn't go on my list because <laughs> so much bad on this show. But it's really bad, so I'm tempted to put it. Yeah, I'm. I'm happy to put it on with you guys. Oh, Rob with the agenda. <laughs> it's not an agenda. <laughs> no, Rob. I'm just. I'm using. I'm using the Twitter parlance for you having an opinion. <laughs> again, again, it's my own. Stupid fault for coming to the show with such high expectations. <laughs> so we've got one slot left. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's you next, Dan. Right, I'm really torn now because I've got two things left that I want to speak about, and it's always oh, difficult. Do you know what? I'm going to go with the creation, or what I believe is the creation of the five-second pose. Because one of the things I used to really love about Edge and Christian, it, it was the, and one, a, a really good production point of this show, was the fact that there were the cameras panning around the crowd, you've got all the lighting, and they're looking for Edge and Christian, and then they're just coming down the ramp. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is great. So, But it was a bit jarring, I'm thinking, that's odd. The, the tag team champions, and then Edge gets on the mic and says, we realise that all of you are very disappointed that we didn't do the running through the crowd thing. Honestly, since we won these, being the tag team titles, it's become a bit much. But we don't want our fans to think we've forgotten them. So for the next five seconds, we will generously pose for the benefit of all of you with flash photography. And then just pose side to side, each side of the ring. And it's just such a douchebag thing to do. And the five-second pose, when I I was this age, back then, it made me hate them. And now I kind of love them for it, looking back. And, and best of all, for this, 
after that five second pose, they do the rope and challenge, and we get Rikishi and Shokishi. We've got Big Show in his gimmick stealing phase. That <laughs> again, nostalgia factor. I thought it was brilliant. Shown in the Barbarian. You remember yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, I remember Val. I, I remember. I remember Val Shonus. <laughs> it was. It was just brilliant. <laughs> it was the one time King actually made me laugh when he referred to Big Show's ass as behemoth buns. <laughs> Rob's gonna. Rob's gonna try and sound unimpressed, but I saw that little smirk on his face there. Fair um, credit to Jerry Lawler at least is. Trying to be pervy on the men as well as the women. <laughs> he did. He did have an obsession with Big Show's ass during this match. He really but, did. <laughs> yeah, fair play though. Show, you know, show, show was rocking the thong. <laughs> he was. But I, I, I actually enjoyed Rikishi and, and Big Show as a tag team for what uh, for what little we saw of them because it was, you know, typically it was a short match and there was a DQ finish. But I thought I saw enough of Rikishi and Big Show as a tag team that I wanted to see more. Didn't necessarily need Big Show with the wig and the shell necklace all the time, but yeah, I just I'm putting it forward for the five second pose because it was just a brilliant douchebag thing to do. But I enjoyed the whole open challenge. It, we even got Big Show and Rikishi doing the dance, the two cool dance celebration. Do you remember the Big Show was in the song song, that music video? Was I he? can't remember the artist. Yeah, so I Cisco. don't know if this was something. Yes, yes, I don't know if this was something to do with that, but. Yeah, I do remember him. He was like kind of folding his arms and he's in the music. It's on YouTube, I'm sure. But I remember that. I just thinking, could that have been around the same time as this? And maybe he was trying to promote the song. The Thong song was released on February 15th, 2000. Mm. Possibly. I mean, if that's the tie-in, that is really good. Obviously, one of the problems we kind of lose when we're looking back so far at these episodes is that we're out of the context of what's happening in the moment you know yeah. it's big and cultural at the moment that's completely gone over our heads so it's a, a great spot there danny that potentially this is something that ties into what's happening at the moment that was a deeper cut than the thong made up big show's ass crack <laughs> <laughs> although I, I have to say i did note something down as well if this happened like on an indie show two guy like two massive guys start doing that they would get a big lads dancing, clap, 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 chant. The battlings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, on the camps. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have minded seeing this match at Butlins. Rikishi and Shokishi putting the butt in Butlins. <laughs> <laughs> so, what did you think of it, Danny? I liked the five second pose. I think it definitely should be on there. I think you're right, Dan. That was the first creation of it just want to go back to edge and christian was it the hardy boys match where they came out and they was using insider terms yes why yes it was yeah (laughs) was it to make them heels or (laughs) Uh, and actually explained for the audience at home what a stoop was didn't he yeah he did yeah (laughs) i don't know i couldn't really tell i couldn't tell if they were trying to if it was like a nod to the smart to the sort of smarky fans or the smarter fans or if they were just supposed to sound like douchebags. Because mm. um, King, on, King, yeah. King played up to it, so I'm assuming they were yeah. supposed to be douchebags. On yeah. NXT, <laughs> on NXT, not that long ago, I remember Karrion Cross calling, I think it was Johnny Gargano, a mark. And I was thinking, why? 
Yeah, sorry, carry on. No, I was just saying, he was, he was using it in a derogatory term. He was like, get out of here, you mark, or something like that. And it was like, I just don't understand the obsession with this using insider terms that were popularised by um, Shagger Dave. <laughs> I was going to say, I've never understood the, the term mark as an insult. Mm. I'm a mark. If, if, I'm, if, if, I, if I'm fully invested in something... That means I'm a fan of it. That if that makes me a mark, then brilliant. I, I I want to be a mark. I want to be that invested that I lose that I'm suspending my disbelief. The origin of the word mark is, you know, in in the days of the carnivals, etc. You know, if someone had come and, and dropped a lot of money on, you know, games, the coconut shy or that kind of thing, they'd slap them on the back with a chalked hand so that everyone else who was running these games would know that that's someone who can get money out of. Uh, okay. That's kind of why people find it offensive, the wrestling evolved from, you know, the circus and the carnivals and all this sort of stuff. I, I mean, I don't mind it. I mean, at this point, and especially after that last episode of Nitro that we watched, all the cards are on the table, you know, on the mainstream shows, the inside terms are, are pretty out there in 2000. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it was a, it was it was a, it was a sort of Russo and Ferrara thing to to try and get those terms onto TV. Even though he's done podcasts saying that he doesn't like it, we'd we'd seen some of the um, Sullivan episodes, Sullivan Sullivan Taylor, where those terms were coming in. Even though Bischoff didn't like that at the time, but they were mm-hmm. still into those products prior to that. Uh, and you're right, this is the first time the five second pause is on, so I think it deserves to be on the list for that. But in terms of this match, this match was 29 days after the Big Show was in the main event of WrestleMania 2000. And he's gone from the main event of WrestleMania, this horseshit. Wow. I would say this was more entertaining than the main event of WrestleMania 2000. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, that's a fair call. But at least it was- <laughs> <laughs> At least they're building it up as something. And, and also, Rob, also, Rob, we don't, we don't, you know, we're viewing these in isolation. I didn't know, it. I could have worked it out, but I didn't know that was, that was on there, so. Yeah, no, it's, it's fair enough, you know, it's just part of, you know, if you've just gone on to WWE for the first time and you see this show. My notes for this match is, the crowd did not give two shits about this match. They only cared about Big Show's ass, Big Show and Rikishi rubbing their asses together, the stink face, and they had a mild interest in when they danced. I think there were four people who were chanting for that when they danced. There were more than four people clapping for that dance for that dance uh, exit. Yeah, but Dan, four were in the arena, and one was in York in 2021. No, no, <laughs> two were because I told my brother it was happening. <laughs> <laughs> There was, there was at least a dozen. Yeah. <laughs> not not as many not as many as there were as were hyped for uh, for two calls dancing. That was generally oh, yeah. two calls dancing. That was like being at an Iceland home game. <laughs> I, I tell you what, this show was like though, Dan. Were you at that four GW show in Osset when uh, they forgot the ring bell? Yes. And it, they, they had somebody hit a guy on the head with a bottle, an empty bottle of Evian, and he went ding 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 whenever they hit him on the head. That was brilliant. Uh, well, yeah, and if only that guy had been at this show, because they brought the ring bell in to hit someone, it didn't make the reassuring ding noise when you hit someone, so that's a big 
minus to it because it should make a ding noise. And then at the end of the match, because they hadn't given the ring bell back to the timekeeper, Teddy Long's like running <laughs> around trying to find the ring bell to hand <laughs> the timekeeper. And then they never ring it. So that match is still going on. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when um, somebody threw, threw Kurt, I think it was Curtis Axel, through the 2015 Royal Rumble. Um, and they threw him through the middle rope and he went on that big streak and he was like, I've never lived, I was never eliminated from the Royal Rumble. He's still in it. <laughs> yeah. And Axel, Axel Mania can still happen. Yes, yes. We pray. We can pray. <laughs> I'm convinced he's the uh, the mystery man in, in NWA at the minute. Ooh. Be brilliant. That would be brilliant. Just on a quick note, how bad was Lillian Garcia at announcing here? I tell what? you, I had no problems with her on this show, considering oh, I did. God. I mean, that, that's so far down my list of problems. <laughs> I, I, will, I will come to my thoughts on Lillian Garcia later. Yes, because it was a step up from, uh, yeah, Deborah was the night before, a backlash, and oh, rough. <laughs> All I'd say is, at least I could hear Lillian Garcia's announcements. On Nitro, when fucking Dave Penz is there, I can't hear jack shit. <laughs> and that's not a knock on Penza. I, really, I like Penza's work. He's, he's, he's still good in impact at the minute, but it's, I don't know if it's the way the sound's mixed or technical faults on WCW's end. I can't remember the last time I actually heard him clearly announce a match. Yeah, but the problem with Nitro is there's so many dubs. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that is a problem. He said on his podcast that he was just mainly hired for the live crowd. And that was it, basically. But what was the point of him uh, having a job? <laughs> I will say, the credit to, credit to Penzer, he always turned up looking sharp. Yes. Is Dave, Dave Penzer the one that got a job because he used to, like, ferry up the enhancement talent from Florida to... Uh, yes. yes. That's him, yeah. yeah. Damn it, I could have been an announcer driving wrestlers around. <laughs> yeah, Dan, Dan's legendary. <laughs> I've, I've literally given one wrestler a lift. <laughs> multiple times <laughs> to, to local shows <laughs> but we've got our top five we've got oh. Vince McMahon and these Tony Blair promos we've got uh, Crash Holly we've got uh, Earl Hebner being booked like the second of Goldberg we've got Taz's promo and we've got the invention of the five second pose Gold Bell Gold Bell <laughs> Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, sorry, I popped myself again. I'm, I'm amazed we've got through this without. Because uh, I'm just, I'm just going to go straight to one of my honourable mentions. Hope you don't mind me hijacking it slightly. We we got through it all without talking about the Rock, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is amazing and slightly criminal, because uh, the Rock was is pretty much I think at his peak at this point. Because you heard the pop just for him turning up at the arena. And then he cut a hell of a promo because it's The Rock, and of course he did. But I don't know. I don't know if we didn't mention it because it's just so standard for him. I mean, that match with Shane McMahon wasn't amazing. I mean, I had the Earl Hebner running. I've written in my notes Shane McMahon floating like a bee and stinging like a butterfly with those punches. <laughs> It wasn't a great match, no. But, I mean, in terms of the promo, he told Vince McMahon to go and lick his mother's anus. 
I mean, he's accurately stating that Stone Cold Steve Austin's going to be sat at home in Texas, beer in one hand, beer in the other hand. That's very appropriate for this podcast. I didn't think about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, we just... We got through a whole episode without mentioning The Rock, so I thought I'd do it now because his promo was was outstanding. The match was what it was. It was the best you were going to get out of Shane McMahon at the time. It was probably a bit. It was probably a bit too long, and largely uneventful for the amount of uh, weapons and and chair shots. And weirdly, again, for some reason on this show, what is it with people and sticks? Because I mentioned Crash Holly had a stick. Triple H had a pokey stick. He was just poking the rock in the ribs through the cage. <laughs> I mean, I, I, this show wasn't great. But Triple H is porky stick. <laughs> can we, uh, can we, Aaron, can we take some? Can we take something off and put Triple H's porky stick on there? He was just sliding. Cue. Porky. What would have been brilliant because there was times when he couldn't reach. What would have been brilliant if he'd gone under the ring and got one of those snooker extenders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh right, what what, what what are we taking off to put uh, Triple H's pokey stick on? <laughs> uh, we can do Taz's uh, promo. We can throw that off if you want. Yeah. Are you agreed on Taz? Are you agreed on Triple H's pokey stick, Danny? Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, he, he only used it twice the whole show and it only lasted about two seconds each time. <laughs> but I've never seen it before and I've never seen it since. It was the highlight of the show. More wrestlers should do this, really. They really should. <laughs> That's the thing, though. He's used it. It looks ridiculous, but it makes perfect sense. Mm. Mm. It goes yeah. through the cage and just jab him in the ribs. TNA um, did this, not this, but like TNA were the first, were they the first to have they're like huge holes in their cages for the cameramen and some uh, wrestlers would grab like would try and escape out those little holes because they were massive and i always thought how come wve never had like big holes in the in the cages for cameramen never understood they, that vince just rather that we struggle <laughs> sure. I, th- I thought you were going to say there was a tna event you know one of those TNA lockdown events where every match was in a cage and every match had Triple H to the pokey stick. <laughs> <laughs> that would be brilliant. <laughs> I don't want to watch any for any more cage matches now without somebody poking someone in the ribs with a little stick. <laughs> Mr. Fuji would have been great at that. Mr. Fuji just... Oh, oh if you if just yeah, like use the end of the flag or something just to... <laughs> This is where you should have sporting involvement. Imagine if Ronnie O'Sullivan had been on this show. <laughs> oh. With Cody Rose, he could do it. He could do it. I've now just yeah. remembered that time that Ronnie O'Sullivan tried to play snooker in VR, thought he was leaning on an actual table and fell over. <laughs> but at least he had a stick. <laughs> so, so now it's time for an ad break, so we can go through the ads each okay. on this show. I've just realised we're the we're the people who's got the most entertainment out of Triple H's pokey sticks in Stephanie. <laughs> oh, Christ. Feel free to edit that out. <laughs> I'll leave it to you, Rob. I don't mind if it stays in. I can give a fuck. So now it's time for an ad break, so we can go through the ads that were featured on this show. So we got an ad for the encore presentation of Backlash tomorrow night. One thing I have to say about the way that WWE 
did this. We, we've come from a lot of nicer episodes where the, they're literally showing highlights from the pay-per-view. There's kind of almost no need to buy the pay-per-view because on the next episode of Nitro, they're showing you exactly what's happened. We only got a few stilts on this show and they're very much promoting by the encore presentation. So, you know, they, they were a lot more focused on that. So I've, I've got to give that to them. In terms of the next advert we got was for the Raw magazine. You had a choice of five divas in swimsuits on the cover. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure how to feel about that, but it, they were promoting it. Jerry Lawler had opinions. Yeah, Jerry Lawler always does. He would. They were sponsored by Army Men World, the video game. Not one I ever played. They were sponsored by Fram Air Filters. Yeah, another another like auto repair thing, just on, on Raw and Nitro. Obviously a running theme. Just I don't recall Castrol GTX on this one though. It weren't. There was an advertisement again for the Chef Boyardee overstuffed beef ravioli. We're getting very close to the period and they they actually thumbnailed them on the network where the big show's eating the Chef Boyardee ravioli. <laughs> Can't wait. I wanna try it. Have you seen the Kane Chef Boyardee advert? No. Oh, but I need, brilliant. I need to take a piss after this segment, so I might watch it while I'm going to the toilet. There was an advert for phonefree.com, which was free long-distance calls over the internet. WWE moving with the times. I think the, I think Edge even made reference to something of his selling on eBay. Wow. I, I'm pretty sure that at the time um, it, it, you were paying sort of the, the cost of phone calls just to dial up the internet, so... Uh, well, yeah. Costly. There was an advert for Mick Foley was starring in an episode of Now and Again. And, and this sounds awesome. This is on Friday night, and it's on the USA Network. There's great synergy there. Mick Foley's going to be on the show. It's on the same network. Let's promote the shit out of it. show gets cancelled after this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> oh, poor Mick. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> never mind. So in terms of shout outs that we've had for the show, the band Reign of the Terror and their official Twitter page, Reign of the Terror Official, um, said that they were checking out the podcast and would love to be on the show sometime, promoting dropping the new album. So we can, we can have a word with our head of talent relations that yeah. may or may not be me. <laughs> it's like. It's like the uh, counter of the butchers, isn't it? You have to uh, take a ticket and... <laughs> I don't know, to be fair. I, I worked uh, I worked on a deli counter for a lot of years and we never had a ticket system. But anyway, enough about that. Graham from At Good Cop, Bad Cop podcast, At Good Bad Wrestle, um, hey. said that, that he'd listened to the show a day early and that tomorrow, when he sent the tweet, was the uh, last lacrosse practice of the season. Yeah, I don't appreciate you changing up the routine, Graham. It's not on. Uh, I hope you enjoyed, though, mate. Appreciate yeah. you listening. I just uh, just make sure you get the laps in. Do double if it's the last lacrosse practice. Well, I, f- I think you need to be making Mason and Jackson practice lacrosse all through the summer. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's a summer sport or what. It's, it seems to be just people running around in pads with landing nets. Mags at, at Podfather Mags said, why do my podcast um, partners always have a, have a dig at me? Referencing when Cy was on the show. And he also claims that he doesn't live anywhere near Paddyham. He does live quite near Paddyham. He lives closer to Paddyham than I do. 
and Padium is the arsehole of the universe. And the reason people take shots at your mags is we're all mates, so we all like to have a piss take and a dig. And you know that, you fucker. Talking about Thai, SJP words, tweeted out that he enjoyed being a guest on the show. We enjoyed having him on the show. Yeah, it was great to have Thai. And Steve-O at Total Steve-O said that he thought that uh, Ben and I would have a fight during the uh, Russo and Ferraro lowest rated episode. I'll give over. I think I put that to bed quite quickly. I mean, above all else, me, me and you are both too lazy to fight. Yeah. <laughs> Unless we get some MB party fighters and an absolute possibility of facing Sable in the final. Um, also, Rob, also Rob, Rob does have some form of combat training, so he'd probably just kick my ass. I wouldn't bother. <laughs> but, I mean, is it, people get upset about wrestling. It's a TV show. No offence here, Danny, but I'm assuming that you wouldn't fight anyone over a Coronation Street storyline. No, absolutely not, no. I just didn't know where you'd stand on that, you know. If, uh, no. <laughs> talk about no. Peter Kaori and Kellen's time on the street. <laughs> <laughs> nice loop no. nice back to celebrity involvement. What they did? Yeah, <laughs> You see, there, there was, and I, I never knew this, you know the guy who played Les Battersby? Yeah. yeah. He was on a documentary about the Yorkshire Ripper. I think he found oh, one yeah. of the bodies. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah he was... Oh, that wasn't that long ago, was it? Because he had... Uh, he said, like, it really fucked him up. He didn't really, like... Um, he hasn't been able to sleep and stuff like that. Yeah, he'd seen... I think he found the body, didn't he? It was of a young yeah. woman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it that, was... That's insane. You, you just... You see these celebrities or whatever, and you don't think that they've got problems and stuff going on in the life. Yeah, but yeah, that's gonna mess you up, man. Oh, yeah, that is that is hardcore trauma. Yeah, big time. I mean, just oh, just couldn't believe that. When I, I uh, yeah, was that this year or was that last year? Netflix Netflix documentary? Oh yeah, yeah. I read the uh, the article, but I was just like, that's just insane. Just I, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, that was oh. bad. Yeah, yeah. Did he squander all his money or something, and he ends up homeless? Not that about ten years ago or something. It was like after he left Coronation Street, and he was kind of like falling on hard times. And then uh, is he back in? I'm not sure. I mean, I mean, I remember when I was at uni, there was always signs for club nights with Les Battersby as the DJ, and you're sort of thinking, is that a good thing? <laughs> <laughs> To be oh, fair, I remember, I remember being at Union, the uh, the sort of the spectrum of quote-unquote celebrities that turned up at club nights ranged from Vern Troyer to uh, Pritchard and Dainton from Dirty Sanchez. Wow. <laughs> so, Matty, our guru of Mattitude, he called UTT Podcast an award-winning podcast. Great. What, what award have we won? Well, I, th- I think it's one that Matt has invented, but, you know. I'll take it. I'll put a suit on and do an acceptance speech. Danny at Scottish Juggalo. Hey. Who? <laughs> said that he loved Porn Orndorff. <laughs> that was one of the great. That was one of the great misspeaks of uh, of our of our run. Uh, it, it was it was really good seeing Paul Orndorff in that episode of Nitro. I never expected to see him sort of wrestle towards the end of his career. Really hit on a good episode. Though. Well, I thought we did. I thought it was an 
I still damn hated it, but <laughs> how the turns have tabled. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like you did. I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, me just sat there going, "No, oh, this is amazing." <laughs> the boss, James at Nineties uh, Wrestling Pod, wished Dan the best of luck in his future endeavors after he slagged off Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan can go fuck himself. Purely, purely, I'll be honest. It is purely for the Dan, Dan, Dan bullshit. Every other cunt thinks that's fucking hysterical when they're not named Dan. So the amount of times I've had that shouted at me across a bar and just gone, oh, great, you're doing that bit. Never heard that before. You finished yet? (laughs) Great. Yeah. Wasn't funny when Steve Coogan did it. You've got no fucking chance, sunshine. (laughs) Thumbs up to you. You tried. No. Fuck off. (laughs) Talking about Dan's, Dan Torres at Philly Dan posted a picture on, on my feed of the site. It was like a three-person sign that said Russo. And that had actually been a sign that was on the last episode of Nitro that we re- recorded last week. Yeah. Uh, that'll be out soon. So he says he's definitely looking forward to uh, listening to our review of that one. Hope you enjoy. Yeah, definitely. If, if you're still around or... If you're only there for signs about Russo, you might have uh, given this episode a, a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Joe, for Win the Ring, said that last week's episode was a great listen. So very appreciative and very appreciative of uh, all the support those guys give us. Always. Um, obviously, that's part of our Canadian audience with Joe for Win the Ring. We actually broke into the Australian charts this week. Whoa, really? We did. We did. We're, we're, we're big down under, Dan. That's the first time I've been accused of that. <laughs> <laughs> Self-burn. No, so thank you very much to our Australian listeners. I mean, obviously, this is on our direct channel, on the On Booking the Territory podcast channel. We, we get most of our listens through that night's wrestling podcast channel. So thank you to everyone that's listening on there. But we only get the analytics behind... The other ones, and uh, it, it's it's great to see that we're making an impact in Australia. See, what I'm getting from that is, uh, what I think has happened is that Dom has finally found out that I have a podcast, and Dom's living in Australia at the minute, so I reckon Dom's listened to an episode. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, we do have a few Australian uh, listeners that interact with the show, but uh, you know, very grateful for, for for everyone that listens. And yeah, of course, okay. I, I am being facetious. Um, send in any comments and we'll we'll give you a shout out. So, in terms of the award section of the show, Danny, um, what would you give your match of the night? So? Well, it, to me, it has to be Shane McMahon versus The Rock, just because of the crowd reaction and because there wasn't a lot of great matches on this show. <laughs> I would say that was the uh, the top one for me. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, obviously, it wasn't the best, but. To me, it was the best of the night. Yeah, it, it's definitely my recommendation for match of the night. What about you, Dan? Uh, we're not getting a clean, uh, clean sweep, sadly. I'm giving my match of the night with a proviso. The match I'm giving it, uh, match of the night has to be watched with the sound off. And it's uh, Jackie and the Cat versus Ivory and Terry. Because, like I say, it's the second best women's match we've reviewed. It was bloody good. You just... just don't listen to King. What I loved about that match was afterwards, 
Jim Bowen said they had the time it took the board to evolve to decide if they wanted to risk the money they'd won to go against Bully's private board. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. Will the bullseye never end? <laughs> no, it won't, and no, should it? Yeah. So, Danny, uh, what would you give you a moment of the night to? I would say the backstage little bit with Vince McMahon giving L a telling off, L Hebno a telling off. We're going to need Steve O to do a great impression of that. I'll absolutely die watching that. Okay, here we are. Take one Vince McMahon versus L Hebner. Here's the script. <laughs> you snivelling little shit. Who the hell do you think you are? Huh? If it hadn't been for you and Austin, Triple H would still be champion. Oh, but no, no. My wife reinstates you. You dribbling piece of crap! I just want my... You what? I just want... Shut up! You want your job back. You want your job. You stay out of my business. You got it? I'm telling you. You better stay out of my business. Bad things happen to people that get in my business. You remember that. Now get the hell out. Like I said before, I think he should have included Earl Hebner's past just a little bit, just to show that he isn't all great. But I would definitely say that, yeah, because I really enjoyed it. That is a solid pick. So I, I just wish he'd said, I'm Dave. <laughs> I just wish Earl had said something along the lines of not doing Vince's dirty work anymore, especially after Montreal. Mm-hmm. He should have cracked open a can of spinach and ate it the way he uh, acted after this point. What was your moment of the night, Dan? Uh, mine was the pop for the first time The Rock came out. When he just finally arrived, it was, I believe they call it in football parlance, limbs nowadays. Just people up on the feet, arms up. Screaming, shouting. It was a moment of pure star quality. Yeah, I mean, I mean, The Rock was heads and shoulders the star on this show. My moment of the night is Triple H poking his snooker <laughs> <laughs> Because it came out of nowhere, made a late entry onto our top five and made us all laugh like hell. Definitely. <laughs> so, Danny, what would you give your MVP of the night to? <sighs> Vince, it just has to be Vince throughout this whole episode. I mean, the man was on fire, as I said at the beginning. It, it, I really do think he overshadowed Triple H on this. Yeah, it's got to be Vince. Yeah. You enjoyed Vince's breed of champagne socialism? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he was be- better dressed than Tony Blair. You've got to give him that. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a call. <laughs> well, who would you give your MVP of the night to, Dan? Mine goes to somebody I've uh, mentioned before, probably telegraphed it a little bit, and it is because uh, her performance was just a really nice change of pace. I'm giving it to Lillian Garcia, just just for the fact that I could hear her. And uh, Lillian Garcia, as we all know, is a fantastic ring announcer. And and she was there for for a good long time, wasn't she? 
Oh yeah, top of the game for a good long while. And yeah, you know, we, we've talked on shows about you know people having a uh, hard paper round and uh, looking older than they are, etc. I mean, she must have found the fountain of youth. Yeah, yeah. There's there's very few people in wrestling who age well. Let's be fair, because you know it's a hard life and it's a hard lifestyle and it takes its toll. Even you know even for people who aren't taking bumps, etc. But Lillian, like Lillian, I think there's Lillian Garcia and Tori Wilson who who haven't aged a day. Greg Valentine also hasn't aged a day, but that's because he's looked 60 since he was 20. Yeah, same for me and Gene Oakland. He looks 70 when he was born. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My MVP of the night has to be The Rock. I mean, just star quality written all over him. I mean, not, yeah. obviously he's gone on to be this massive crossover star, but yeah, he can't look past him in, in my mind. So Danny, who would he give the most important award of the night to, the René Goulet Award for Outstanding Haircut of the Night? Eddie Guerrero. It just has to be Eddie Guerrero because I don't think since the, man, the moment the man got on television, he ever had a bad haircut. He had the mullet in 2000. When he got rid of that mullet in 2003... It was no 2002. He did. It, it still looked great all the way until he's dead. He always had such great hair. So I'd I'd have to say Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, I'm following up with that. So I'm assuming Rob was going to come to me next. Eddie Guerrero. I mentioned before, he looked great on that on on his just on his ring walk. He's got the. <laughs> did he have the little bow tie on still or not? But he had the he had the rose behind his ear. He had the closest to a mullet that you can get away with in 2000. But only Eddie could pull that off. He looked mint. I've just opened a tri-state triple hopped American pale ale from Bingley Brewery, turning Chinook, Sentinel and uh, Mosaic hops. Uh, it's 4.5%. And, I mean, this can has been stood still for the duration of recording this podcast, and it just went everywhere. So... Busy, busy lads. Um. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of beer, just quickly, I've finished off a uh, Frisky Bear Brewing Company Under Promise and Over Deliver stout, which did neither. It under well, it, it under promised and it under delivered. It wasn't great, sadly, but you know, you win some, you lose some. Uh, I'm just on a Ride Brewing Coach from uh, Tomato and Chili Goes, which I bought because it sounded weird and potentially disgusting. It's actually quite pleasant. Just a nice little chilli kick, nothing too mental. And then Rob. Rob, I bought a beer from our friends at Hopper Clock just to pop you. I have got Ridgesides Foobarb Rhubarb and Custard Sour. Oh, that sounds good. That sounds it's, even, it's even got a rhubarb skull and crossbones on the can. Just a little aside behind the show, one. Going over to York tomorrow, and Dan said, "Are you bringing the car so we can go to Hopper Clock?" Well, it wasn't so you could so we could go to Hopper Clock. We can get there anyway, but <laughs> just carry more back when we've got the over. <laughs> so my haircut of the night for the Renegou Lawyer Award for outstanding haircut of the night would go to Jeff Hardy for his multicoloured hair. Oh, yeah, fair shout. Even though he couldn't get close enough to Grandmaster Sexy for him to pull his hair. <laughs> um, so Danny what would you give you sign of the night to oh there's two that really they really stuck out 
just before Stephen McMahon uh, spoke, somebody held up a sign that says, Linda McMahon is a MILF. Did any of you catch that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I missed that one. Oh, that, and it, it just, just milliseconds before she even opened her mouth, it was like, oh, God. So when she watches that promo back, she'll be like, oh, my God. Just <laughs> It was a grown man who was holding it as well. <laughs> There weren't children, the Prince. Oh, God, no. <laughs> I had to go back and check. And then I would say, that just to quickly, the second one, somebody had a sign just at the beginning of the show that said, Chris Benoit fan forever. And yeah. I wonder if he still is. <laughs> well, he's apparently a Stevie Richards fan now. Oh, yeah, of course. Who isn't? <laughs> <laughs> you need to get a sponsorship from Stevie Richards resistance armbands. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I was quite excited because I got the reskin of the WrestleMania arcade game, Retromania arcade game, and mm. Steve Richards is a playable character on there. Oh my god! What, wait, what gimmick? What gimmick is he in? Uh, my Blue World Order. Oh right, oh yeah. <laughs> the best Stevie Richards. Yeah, to be honest, that was the, it was better than it was close to his RTC because I really enjoyed that, but. It was the most it was over in BWR. <laughs> I think we've established, Dan, the best Stevie Richards gimmick is Dr. Stevie Richards. This is... <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but, no, no, no. That, that wasn't a gimmick. That was real life. <laughs> okay. I apologise, yeah, for a break. What about you, Dan? What's your sign of the night? Oh, it's that time of night again where I just scroll back up because I'm too lazy to do anything else. Um, there was a... Somebody took the time to make a Latino heat banner in the uh, Freddie Guerrero which I thought was great. The artwork was questionable, but they put in the effort, which I can't fault. Uh, I time-travelled, apparently, and didn't know how to make a sign, but I wanted to convey that I was a fan of The Rock, so I just put Dan Rock uh, on a sign. I must have been drunk, or I must will be drunk. I don't know how the tense works on that one. Um, I was actually, look, at the start of the show, I was quite overwhelmed because I saw the sheer amount of signs and thought this is going to be a fucking nightmare trying to pick one. But thankfully, there were so many I could only pick. <laughs> I was like, it's like that one, that one, that'll do. Somebody's had a sign that simply said, shut up, Stephanie, which, fair enough. Someone else was uh, was a Vince enthusiast, and it said, Vince, divorce Linda, marry me. So it's a, a bit of raw Tinder instead of nitro Tinder. One that gets a re- <laughs> we're getting into some really good honorable, honorable mentions now. It said, DX isn't dead, it just sucks now. <laughs> which I quite liked. Somebody who evidently really despised hardcore Holly, Crash Holly, whichever one, said, uh, had a sign that said, Holly, suck on a monkey nipple. <laughs> which, okay, don't quite get it, but whatever. Uh, obviously, you can't put swear words on there, so they had to get creative. We had uh, a New Japan fan in uh, in the audience with a sign that said, Jado is raw. Yes, yeah, I saw that one. And then uh, somebody else needed a bonk on the head and putting in horny jail because they just had a sign that said, I need a little edge. Mm-hmm. But my sign of the night, well, I was torn between two. I was torn between a sign that simply said, my balls itch. <laughs> Which is just a weird thing to put. For one, they predicted it. They didn't just write it at the actual, you know, at, sat in the crowd. But I've gone for the sign that actually made me put a link in my notes, and that was Ray Lewis stabbed me. 
Anyway, from what I remember, Ray Lewis was uh, playing for, I believe, playing for the Baltimore Ravens at the time and had been arrested after there was a brawl and a guy was stabbed to death. This is the trouble. Whenever we get a reference to an American footballer or a baseball player, you have to check for the crime in sports possibility. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. So, sorry, no, uh, there was a, a fight broke out at a January 31st, 2000 party uh, between Lewis and some of his companions and another group of people, resulting in the stabbing deaths of, of two people. And basically, there was all sorts of stuff around... Ray Lewis having blood on his uh, blood on his suit, the suit disappearing. The, there was a knife found, but there was never there was no fingerprints on the DNA, and all sorts of really shady shit. So for the the fact I had to put a link into my into my notes that I've not used very badly, and for the reference, it goes to Ray Lewis stabbed me. Wow, that's very dark. A W dark. <laughs> it would be nearly light again <laughs> this crowd that said and it's a call back to uh, the first episode that we reviewed it said I got milk hey. there's another call back to a previous episode that we reviewed when Jericho was cutting a promo on Nitro it's actually an advertising segment about being a Jericho-holic Never I'm addicted ever- to jericho yeah, and there was a Jericho Hollicks anonymous sign um, in the crowd. Yeah, and there were so many um, Austin, like Austin three sixteens or like rock catchphrase signs as well. Yeah, but I am going to have to go with one that was completely on brand for the direction that Vince McMahon was taking his promos in. And there was a sign that said "Union Carpenters Unite," and all I can think is that Tony Blair would have been doing a keynote speech for the Union of Carpenters and uh, <laughs> they were on that Oh dear Robert <laughs> at least you're staying on theme and on brand with your uh, with all of that running through with the Tony Blair nonsense completely invested in this Dan <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm sure that on Nitro that there was new Vince McMahon new danger signs going up <laughs> Will Steve I'll be doing Tony Blair impressions next <laughs> I hope so I hope Steve will start doing John Prescott impressions <laughs> I feel I'm better physically equipped to do John Prescott impressions Talking about Tony Blair's cabinet where I went to uni, at the student union, there was a sign outside that said, Jack Straw will not be welcome at this student union. And I always wondered what that meant. Did that mean that if he got, went to the bar, they'd give him a really big head on the pine? Did it, <laughs> <laughs> did it mean that people would you know, cut in front of him in the queue in the refectory? Did it mean that he was going to sit down, people would hold the chair out for him, then whip it away? And I, I just wondered how they were going to make Jack Straw not welcome. <laughs> I'm just amazed that Tony Blair's ended up looking like the uh, the Crypt Keeper from Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> Get him on 2000 Raw. <laughs> My balls itch. <laughs> so, Danny, what would you rate this show out of 10? It's got to be a, a four for me, to be honest with you, and I'm being generous with that. <laughs> And just, yeah, just, there was very few highlights, but yeah, overall, I'm giving it a four. Yeah. No, that's fair enough, Dan. 
sorry, first of all, apologies if it sounds like something's taking off in the background. For some reason, the fans on my laptop have decided to just have a field day. Um, but I will take a drink, pop my next one, and you can all buckle in for my ratings ramble bollocks. So I've got a feeling I'm going to be on my own this one, on uh, this one. I actually really enjoyed this show. Just to break down a few elements of it, uh, the production values were were off the charts. That's some oh, sorry production aspects. The light, even just like the lighting on the entrances, made everything feel so much bigger. The pyro was spot on. The commentary with King, like I said, is the major negative. Um, but the, even the spliced in shots of Baltimore, where they were, they did some really good picture-in-picture stuff. The work, the pay-per-view recap, well, Rob, like you said, the storylines, the vast majority revolved around the McMahon Helmsley regime. And, you know, a lot of it circled it. They had a few bits sprinkled in elsewhere for that. When I say filler, I don't mean that as a bad thing because I was still interested in what was going on with Shokishi and Edge and Christian in the tag teams. Yes, the, the, the Hardys match was rough, but I was still in for it. And again, a lot of this will be my own personal bias because, as I say, I was, I was about 11 years old. This was, this was my era. This was when I was all in, like died in the wool WWF. Promos, Rock was untouchable. He was fantastic. Taz was crap. Vince was good in Vince was good in aspects. Triple H was good for five minutes, but the promo went on twenty. So that's it. it still averages. It still comes out above average just for the Rock. Um, the matches were sort of typical of the era. The, you're looking at average at best for the most of it. And the Hebner stuff for me was, I, I called him, <laughs> I very clumsily worked in Hogan Bunner, but I think I prefer Gold Burl for it. And the crowd were just really hot all night, as far as I was concerned, watching it, admittedly. I was watching it towards the end of a, a really uh, of a, of a tough four days where the old brain piece wasn't functioning at, fun, uh, functioning at a high level. So to break it down, matches... Like I say, average at best. So it's a five. Promos, Taz dragged it down. The length of the Triple H promo dragged it down. But it's still above average. Um, I gave it I, I gave it a seven. Because uh, I did like Vince's stuff. I did like Rock's stuff. The content of Jericho's promo is very, very questionable. But the delivery was spot on. Crash Holly was fantastic. So I've given that a seven. Production, it uh, gets a nine from me. No, sorry, an eight, because uh, King drops it down a point uh, just for being on the show, generally. Uh, everything else, though, like I say, lighting, the vignette stuff, uh, the backstage stuff was all very good. Storyline, I, I enjoyed what was there. You know, it was, like I say, it all revolved around the Manhunter regime. There was stuff branching off from that, like with the Road Dog and X-Pac for the tag team titles, and then the stuff with, you know, Too Cool and the Hardys, the 24... Uh, <laughs> Nearly pulled your mistake, Rob. The hardcore title stuff, etc., <laughs> etc. Et so storyline, I gave, uh, I gave an eight to, and the fan response, I thought it was one of the best crowds we've had in donkeys. Again, it could be recency bias, uh, but I gave that a nine, and uh, so overall for me, it comes out a seven and a half out of ten. Fair enough. Wrestling is a buffet. I'll now ev- eviscerate me. <laughs> I, I loved what you said about it being your era of Raw, and it's sort of struck with me that whole thing about uh, that Children in Need special where um, they have David Tennant and 
Peter Davison in the TARDIS together and yes. said, you were my doctor. Peter Davison was my doctor. I'll not have anyone tell me that he wasn't the best Doctor Who of all time. But I appreciate that anyone who came across another Doctor first will think that that's the best Doctor and, you know, com- completely get why this holds such a special place in your heart for you. And this is where Rob goes, you're wrong. <laughs> the crowd were up for spots. They were up for butts being rubbed together. They were up for horrible stuff in the women's matches. They were up for entrances. There was a thing in the Dudley Boys match where they kept chanting, we want tables. And as soon as they realized there weren't going to be any tables, they just switched off. They just could not give two shits because they'd come to see the moments. Like when the worm hit, they they were all over it. But aside from that, not so much. And this was one of the features of this show and, and when I was watching this show I was kind of thinking but but like the rocks on this show and the Hardy Boys are on this show and you know we're getting all these moments but that's all they were that they were just like these little sort of slivers in there of what was actually to my mind an awful show there was so much wrong with this show I mean, it, it, I've given it a gen, and I've written down generous and underlined it four times, a three out of ten. I will take a sip. Now, I understand where you're coming from. It, it, again, it, it's like the um, it's like the Nitro episode we reviewed where we were, I think we were pretty much the same, on the same, the same end of things. And I, I'm more than willing to admit my natural bias towards this. I, I, this is coated in nostalgia that will make me enjoy it more than it deserves. The thing is, I, I watched both at the time, and I know that with a lot of WCW that has problems, and, and I get that I have more of a good feeling towards WCW. But yeah, this, is yeah. what I mean, this is what I mean, though. I, I, I saw sporadic, syndicated bits of WCW. That was it. Yeah. I, have, I have no other point of reference. So when the nostalgia hits, it hits big. Yeah. And I. I I try and ignore it, but I'm never going to be 100% neutral on it. I can understand, but I really can understand where you're coming from uh, in certain aspects. Well, I say understand. I can accept where you're coming from. I don't understand it because I just didn't see that when I was watching it. But I I think this is the beauty of it. And as I say, wrestling just really isn't worth falling out over. Um, It's just a TV show. but. I think I think the beauty of this is that we're trying to look at it in the eyes of someone who, who just stumbled across this episode. Mm. Kind of what would they have thought of it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And to, again, to be fair, I went into this just... Uh, I know I said I was going in with low expectations, but I was still thinking, oh, great, we're on a Raw again for the first time in ages. Again, because it's my wheelhouse. I was on so much of a buzz from last week. We we hit that amazing nitro, and we transfer. We we going over to Raw. It's a really high rated episode. You look at the names on this card: mm. Eddie Guerrero, Chris Jericho, the Hardy Boys, the Dudley Boys, the Rock. This should have been amazing. Everything came together for me to think this was going to knock it out of the park, and I, and I was going to be giving this a a decent rating. And I, I ended up watching Tony Blair speeches. 
<laughs> so, so would it be fair to say then that I've, because of the reasons we've discussed, I've potentially overrated it for somebody coming into it as a as a as an entry point, and equally possibly for oh maybe not equally because my nostalgia is pretty big, but there's a chance that you've been disappointed because of your own preconceived notions. You may be underrated it slightly. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, if if I had no preconceptions, I might have come into it differently. But I mean, the, but I think part of the problem is stuff like the Earl Hebner stuff that annoys me. That annoys me as a wrestling fan, not WWE or you know, when to come to watch this episode of Raw. Mm. I went into this kind of blind because I I did not watch WWF at this point. I, I watched uh, what I could on Channel Four. I didn't have Sky in two thousand, but um, I, and I didn't get into WWE until way after it died. So I watched this and I was just I've just read about this stuff because I've only just got the network in February. And it was just like I've only read about this stuff and it just it just wasn't as good as as everyone had written about back then. They always talk about the attitude era. I mean there were some gold bits, but I mean just when I bought the network for um the later two thousand stuff like two thousand five, two thousand six and stuff like that. I'm enjoying that more than that when you was talking about um this nostalgia, that I would say I was a teenager then and I really enjoyed 2005, 2006, 2007, stuff like that. Yeah, and that, and, that, and that's the thing I think that a lot of people forget. The the era that you sort of discover wrestling, no matter how old you are when you're growing up, as, as you get older and you become an adult, that's what grabbed you. That's the bit that really drew you in. So that specific era, those few years or decade, whatever, that you're always going to be drawn to that. You're always going to want to revisit that and, and feel that again. And that's what a lot of it is with the Attitude Era. The Attitude Era, when you look at a lot of it across Rock and Nitro, there's a lot of garbage. A lot of garbage. A lot on this show, but I've still, probably a lot on this show, but I've still rated it highly because it scratches that specific itch in my brain that says, you loved this when you were younger. <laughs> You know, it's like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the biggest Kane fans in the world. Kane's, Kane's had some stinkers. He's had some shocking booking, but I still love it. <laughs> and if Kendo Nagasaki and Big Daddy had been on this show, I'd have given it a higher rating. So, <laughs> well, Kendo Nagasaki and Big Daddy could turn up on Love Island, and you actually know it. That's a bad example because I'd watch that. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> So I'll just stop that point completely. <laughs> so there hasn't been enough votes on Cage Match for this. Uh, when this episode drops, I will go up and update my rating on this on Cage Match. So it's going to have a low average. Uh, so you, you might want to get in there and amend that. But Wrestling Data gave this an average of three out of five. Okay, about six out of, yeah, six so out, six out, of ten. out of ten. Which, again, like I was saying, you know, if, if there's a chance that well, there isn't a chance I've, I've probably most definitely overrated it based on personal bias. And if there's a chance that you've underrated or you know, five, six might be a, a truer reflection. The one thing I feel about with my rating is, you know, but a lot of it felt big time, if that makes sense. You know, like because of the names that were on the card, the rock was right, a big, uh, all that sort of stuff, because they had, they, they had a load of big names in. You sort of think it deserved more. 
But to to use um, a bit of an extreme sporting analogy, it's like when we finally got Mayweather versus Pacquiao boxing, and it was one of the most boring fights I've ever watched. Yeah, definitely. Because I built it up in my head, it was the two best pound for pound fight, two of the best pound for pound fighters to ever live, and it was just twelve rounds of Pacquiao trying to hit Mayweather, and Mayweather doing what he does, which is avoid getting hit and just tap somebody in the face. Because that's how you win a that's how you can win a boxing match. It's a he's a cracking boxer, but it wasn't a good fight. Yeah, it, it, I guess it was that, that sort of element. So, Danny, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggler. Even though I don't sound Scottish, trust me, I am. <laughs> and yep, that's about it, really. I'm always on there tweeting uh, you guys every day, clips, uh, talking to Steve O, everyone. Shout out to everyone. But, yep, you can find me at Scottish, Scottish Juggler. Excellent. Dan? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date and movies that are 25 years out of date, probably and more than likely shooting the shit with uh, with Danny over there. Uh, all your good self, Rob, and any of, just, just anybody who comes along want to talk about wrestling or anything else, I'll talk about anything, even if I know nothing about it. Um, you can also find me on That 90s Wrestling Podcast doing the monthly pay-per-view reviews at 90s Wrestling Pod. Uh, please go over to YouTube, uh, like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. And that's about it. Excellent. Um, you can follow me at UTT Rob. It's literally more about the mutuals than the uh, followers. So if you want to follow, I'm more than happy to follow back. Regularly tweet about wrestling and the misfortunes of Huddersfield Town. This might be tempting fate, but Derby apparently only have nine registered players and we're playing them tomorrow. So fingers crossed down to a living memory got off to a good start um, to the season. You can follow the show at UTT Podcast. If you search on Booking the Territory on any of your favourite podcast apps, or alternatively, we're on the That Night is Wrestling podcast channel. So we're jumping back to Nitro, and it's the one-time only Bill Banks, Ed Ferrara, and Terry Taylor in charge of Nitro. When It's funny, Bischoff has cut numerous interviews over the years saying about the time Vince Russo took his ball and went home. So. I looked into it because I wondered where was Eric Bischoff and he'd gone home. So it's the time that both Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff went home. Can we call this pot and kettle mania? For years, I kept hearing about Bischoff saying the time Russo went home and I thought, oh, Bischoff must have been there. He must have been there backstage, you know, directing things. And no, as soon as Russo went home, Bischoff went, I can go home. Yeah, teacher hasn't turned up. We can go home. Exactly. It's a uh, snow day. So that's the next episode of Nitro. Jeff Jarrett described it as an absolute uh, mess. He said that um, decisions were being made at 15 minutes before people were going out. Comrade Thompson said, isn't that how it's been when you've been booking Raw? And he had to admit it was. So uh, it should be interesting. Jeff Jarrett's wrong about everything, therefore I expect it to be brilliant. Yeah, but we, we will <laughs> find out. Thank you for listening. Crash Holly, we saw earlier on tonight uh, another defense of the hardcore title. You're defending the thing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Is it uh, starting to get to you? The stress starting to get to you defending the title? No, Michael, no pressure whatsoever. I mean, I retained my title backlash yesterday. I mean, do you hear that? You... Michael, you're looking at me. What are you looking at? What are you talking about? What are you looking at, Michael? I, I can't take it. The pressure's getting to me. I mean, 
Everywhere I go, I go to a restaurant, and I put an order, and the waitresses are looking at me. They're, they're planning to get me. They think they're taking my order, but they're not taking my order. They're planning to get me. For the love of God, can I get a moment's rest?